The following podcast is brought to you by the Jonas Podcasting Network, found exclusively at wrestlingwithjonas.com. Sam Bailey, how are you doing, my friend? I am doing very well. Again, on a very nice, relaxed Sunday. I mean, the yeah. weather hasn't been as lovely up here at North. It's been quite rainy and stuff, but it's just quite nice to have a Sunday off and have a nice kind of chilled day. Yeah, well, I think we had all the all the rain yesterday. We had a storm down here in the southwest, so uh, I think we're making up for it with a little bit of sunshine and the rains come your way. But uh, lovely to have you on board. Lovely to have you on the show. And uh, for anybody watching live at home, uh, want to get in touch with the show? Uh, you can do. We are live across Twitch, Facebook Live, and YouTube. And if you want to send a question along, you can do. If you have any questions for Sam Bailey, send them through to us using your chosen device. We'll do our very best to bring them up during the course of this interview, um, however long it goes, the next hour or hour and 15. Uh, but uh, Sam, fantastic to have you on the show. But before we start asking you some questions, um, I do need to remind my listeners and viewers at home of recent guests that we've had on the Wrestling With Jonas podcast uh, to hopefully encourage them to uh, subscribe to my wonderful YouTube channel. And recently, in the month of uh, June, uh, we had the English Lion, Eddie Ryan, a fantastic chat with Eddie, um, all about Lions Den Pro, his new training school that he's just opened up in Plymouth, and he's a wonderful 15-year career uh, doing some wonderful things in the Southwest and further afield. We had uh, British wrestling legend James Mason uh, on just 24 hours later after Eddie, and uh, he was a fantastic guest to have on. Uh, James doesn't do interviews, a wonderful insight into his uh, thir near 30-year career um, and what he's up to more recently. Uh, also in June, we had the wonderful Rain Leverkusen. Um, it's been a real breakout star over the last year, year and a half. We spoke all about her uh, rise on the UK wrestling scene and all the championships she appears to be picking up. Uh, last week, we had uh, Connor Mills, and I've uh, been reliably informed that he's uh, recently won, or this evening, as a matter of fact, uh, the Rev Pro uh, Undisputed British Cruiserweight Championship. So congratulations, Connor. Go and check out my uh, exclusive interview with Connor Mills, um, a really, really fun insight into his wonderful career and uh, what a what a fantastic 2022 and 2023 Connor is having and uh, some guy that, that, that Sam might know Vusik was on the show in June also a wonderful individual doing some fantastic things in the north and the northeast of the UK uh, whether it be for uh, Tidal, True Grit, 1PW, NGW and so much more uh, but uh, Sam welcome once again to the show and uh, I'm going to bring up some pictures I probably don't need to because you've got it right over your left hand shoulder there uh, <laughs> but look at this uh, the NGW British Heavyweight Championship um, it certainly looks good on you my friend um, and it is there right behind you on the couch there but congratulations and you won this I think a little over two weeks ago at uh, NGW's most recent show at the whole city, whole city Hall, their 15th anniversary show. Um, and this is your, your second NGW championship, and I think 12 years apart, if that if I'm not mistaken. So a uh, bit of a, a thrill for you to not only win the championship again, but uh, after such a long kind of distance or time span between the two reigns. So, yeah, with me and NGW, again, I was on their first ever show. Yeah. Um, like, year one anniversary show, I challenged for the championship, didn't win it. Year two, their anniversary show, I won the championship. So it feels very fitting on their 15th anniversary show of being a two-time NGW champion. Um, I think, like, with NGW as well, like, 
so when they do anniversary shows, they always do something big, whether it be tag team championship, whether it be doing events at bigger venues like Hull City Hall is a fantastic location for pro wrestling and having, I think there were close to 800 people there. Um, I'm not well liked in Hull, I'll be very honest. It's a, it's a, it's a love-hate relationship now with, with the, uh, the time I've been there. But um, it, yeah, it was a great thrill and the place is amazing. The promotion is amazing. Like um, everyone who's behind the scenes running NGW, they really care about pro wrestling in Hull and they care about making the best possible show like almost making it feel like a TV show. So you kind of feel like you're watching a, a, a WE show or like a, an AW show. So they try and make it, but like really family friendly and really orientated to making sure the kids have a good time. There are good guys, there are bad guys, and there's no in between. You're basically either loved by the crowd or you're hated by the crowd. But winning the championship again means they put a lot of faith in me again to be the uh, <laughs> the, the villain in the story of uh, MTW for a little while. Absolutely. I think I mentioned it was uh, 12 years since your first reign, but I think it's actually 13 years, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, and obviously, you know, you're, you're kind of more experienced, you're wiser to what's going on in the wrestling business. Does it feel any different now, 13 years on to when you first held that championship? Um, I think I think you've nailed on the head. Like, I think maturity wise, I'm a lot smarter than when I was. I think I took a lot more risks as a young wrestler, um, trying to impress on the scene as well. And I think now... I can give back a little bit more. I think, like, talking about Vusic, um, who you interviewed with, like, it's fantastic. Uh, someone who's going to blow up in the next year or two. Like, yeah. everyone, Nathan Cruz speaks highly about him. Everyone at uh, the BWR Training Centre, at MGW, at, T- at Tidal. Places he's been already, I've already seen him and gone, he's going to be a big star. And I think I had one training seminar I did down there and saw him and basically had one chat with him. It was like, send me everything you do. Send me every match. Send me every training thing. Just send me everything you can so I can help in any which way because, like, he's going to be a star. And I think that's kind of where I fit in now. Again, the pro wrestling savant thing is a kind of Twitter joke that kind of blew up a little bit in my own face. But the idea is like, now I feel like I am at a stage where I can give back a lot more than maybe I could have done 13, 12, 15, 17, the rest of the time I've been in wrestling (laughs) compared to now. Um, But yeah. Absolutely. Uh, let's uh, go back to that 15th uh, anniversary show for NGW in the whole City Hall, a wonderful venue, always a packed crowd, uh, a wonderful family audience as well, um, with the, the, the biggest and the best names from the North and the, the Northeast um, packing out the whole City Hall for NGW. But, but I think you returned to NGW probably a year ago, and I believe on their 14th anniversary show. So, so talk to us about kind of that year's build to the from the 14th anniversary to the 15th anniversary show and what got you to the championship um so <clears throat> mainly my mouth got me to the right. NGW championship <laughs> um they decided to come back um after their long hiatus and they decided to do a tournament um i was supposed to wrestle matt myers in the first round but matt myers had pulled away because he was kind of having second guessing his identity in wrestling so i had to wrestle robbie x who again <clears throat> can say all the incredible things about robbie x but you just have to watch him you know how incredible he is yeah i unfortunately lost but my my ego had basically took that point of being like, well, if I had wrestled Matt Myers, I potentially would have won and therefore would have gone forward into that championship. And uh, Adam Maxted was the person who who won the championship at that point. And again, my mouth got me into a championship opportunity against Adam Maxted of being, if you had wrestled me, I would have beaten you. Um, various shenanigans had happened in our championship match. Uh, I'm trying to be very broad and stuff. But um, <laughs> essentially, I feel like I was cheated out of because, once again, Matt Myers had returned to be the... Uh, I don't want to say the spoiler, but someone who tried to do the right thing and it didn't necessarily work in his favour. Uh, we were due to have a rematch between myself and Adam Maxted, 
but um, unfortunately he was uh, taken away injured. So they decided to put it into the Rumble scenario, where of course the last two were myself and Matt Myers once again. Um, and this time, again, as I proved many times over, I beat Matt Myers in a Rumble. So it's the last thing, 19 other people to become the two-time NGW <laughs> championship. That is the face of a man who is exhausted, but can't, can't wait to go backstage and have a shower. But also at the same time was just loving the fact that the crowd was so upset by me beating their homeboy Matt Myers. So uh, yeah, it was a very happy, but very, <laughs> there was, I think I lost like 20 pounds of sweat just in that rumble because there was people like Rampage Brown, Ace Matthews, Miles Kamen. There were so many like talented naked crews. Yeah. Oh my God. Like the thing is that there's so many people who've gone through NGW over the years. Like you kind of, you look at their back catalog and they've had people like they've had Pac there just before he went to WWE before he went to AEW, yeah. they're like Mark Haskins, Rampage Brown, like they've had endless amount of talent. And again, like Zach Gibson, who I'm sure we'll talk about a lot at some point, um, of our stories intertwining and thing, but they've had so many people come through over the years that it's kind of like it became the hotbed of wrestling and it kind of became a hidden gem. So a lot of people don't necessarily talk about NGW as much, but it is the place where anyone who's been values it quite highly. And again, yeah, and I I think um that it's hit a rich vein of form as well. And I think that that the, the build up all the way through 2022, 2023, and then, of course, that 15th anniversary show, um, as I said earlier, got a, a wonderful array of talent, both experienced and new and up-and-coming, uh, red-hot crowd, wonderful venues, um, and uh, some fantastic storyline and great action to be had as well. And like I say, NGW, uh, I'd say that they were one of the top promotions in the UK, obviously made their return a year ago, but now I think they're certainly marching back to the top of that order again. Yeah, there's a and rightly so. Yeah, there's a few things happening behind the scene as well with NGW going to Purdue and broader things. I'm not sure I'm supposed to have known what the conversations were had, but it seems to be that like uh, you know, Hull City Hall isn't the biggest place that uh, NGW will be looking at running over the next year or so. But um, yeah, it's just it's fantastic rare talent. Like again, bringing new talent in, bringing more established talent in. Like um, having Alexis Falcon return to Hull was fantastic for her because she never got to wrestle in Hull City Hall, even though she's a Hull native. Yeah, uh, wrestling Lizzie Ebo, who again is a fantastic talent, and I know a gobby Liverpoolian in in Hull does a very well job of getting uh, disliked, sort of thing. So um, it's good to see that they're, they're mixing the new talent with the established talent as well. And it can only be only go to good things. Absolutely. And uh, the next show that's lined up, uh, let's just get rid of the ticker for two seconds, uh, <laughs> September the seventh, uh, the 16th. Um, and uh, that, that's um, 10 weeks away. So a little bit of time to prepare and get ready. Um, I don't know if you know much about your plans. I don't think any matches have been announced yet, but I'm guessing that the, uh, the two-time NGW champion will be there defending his gold. So uh, any plans or anybody that you have in your horizon that you might want to face? Maybe uh, Matt Myers, for example. <sighs> see, yeah, I feel like the the crowd would love to see Matt Myers and myself go at it once again. But I mean, like, even if you look at that poster, there's Nathan Cruz, who again, uh, former multiple time NGW champion, there's probably yeah. X, again, a fantastic talent who's up and down the country. I'm not going to wrestle Lizzie Ebo. Let's 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 just knock that one to the bud. She battered me. Um, but uh, yeah, again, being the champion, it's, it's, again, it's very weird being from year two where I was front and centre as a poster boy for NGW, having a big gold belt, to now, once again, 15 years later, well, 13 years later, having the NGW championship and being front and centre of a poster is quite mad in my real world. But again, if, if I can talk to the NGW crowd and annoy them, I will do it. And uh, if I have to have a match, then so be it as well. 
There we go. We look forward to seeing what's happening on the 16th of September, a mere 10 weeks away. Uh, time will fly until that date. Um, I think that's the East Mouth uh, Centre, if I'm not mistaken. East Mouth Recreational Centre, yes. It's the it's the official home of NGW. It's where we did our first ever show there and that's where right. they returned back on their hiatus. It's, it's, a, it's got a history, that place. Absolutely. And uh, somebody watching us live at home via Facebook, Jack Noton, one half of Act Two. Um, I think I'll be mentioning those two a little bit later on in a certain match you've had with them recently. But uh, thank you for tuning in, Jack. Uh, pleasure as always. And uh, I want to talk to you now about uh, Wrestle Carnival because uh, I think that's one of the places where I've seen you the most, where I've seen you perform the most. Um, and uh, most recently, and I think it was. Uh, well, a little bit different to what was advertised, but yes. uh, it was yourself and Liam Slater um, in a pure rules match, uh, a stipulation, a, a type of match that uh, you're very familiar with. And I think that was probably your third pure rules match in a Wrestle Carnival ring or under a Wrestle Carnival banner. And we'll yes. talk about the other two very soon. Um, but uh, tell us what it was like. And I think that was, when was that? That was uh, May time, yeah, May 21st. the 21st, of yeah. course. Yes. Um, a, a wonderful show uh, in their uh, now familiar home of the HMV Empire in Coventry, a red hot crowd as always. And uh, to tell us what it was like to, to be in there with Liam, because once again, another one of these uh, respected, experienced pros on the scene, um, a, a, a fellow coach from yes. Pursuit uh, Pro Wrestling, uh, PPW up in the, the southeast um and uh like i say both yourself and liam technically proficient um say and and yourself you, you love uh the pure rules but tell us about that match and uh about wrestling liam in particular so again i have a it's, it's, i feel like almost i'm telling a side story to go into wrestle carnival so um wrestle carnival um it was kind of a, a happy accident um we and again, I guess we'll talk about the other match as well. But I'd spoken to Russell Carnival, spoken to Gary about potentially using putting his championship on the line for a future shop show, and he was like, "Absolutely fine." I was like, uh, "Me and Chris Ridgeway were going to do a sort of different type of match. We want to do something different." And again, because he had a pure division, I was like, "Be perfect chance for me and Ridgeway to have the rest of the match." And again, I know I'm sidetracking on this one, but we we sent the footage to Gary. Gary was like, "Amazing, could have put this on our socials for." I was like, "Absolutely fine. It's allowed." I spoke to the future shop people who were in charge of it. They saw it out. Um, and then he was like, I would love, really love to watch you wrestle Emerson Jane. And again, absolutely fine. Had that match, had a little pure match, and cool. And I kind of didn't hear anything for a little while. Um, uh, lo and behold, I think it was Crowley, unfortunately, had to pull out of one of the shows when they originally changed the dates because of a clash with him being in Canada. Yeah. And I had that same day put out a very suggestive Instagram post to say, I'd love to wrestle Spike Trevay. That was it. I was just like, just put it out in the universe. I'd love to wrestle Spike Trevay. 15 minutes later, I get a message from Gary Ward being like, are you available on this date to wrestle Spike Chave? <laughs> I was like, yes. Have you seen my Instagram post? He was like, no. Why? I was like, never mind. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, so originally I was like, oh, brilliant. I get to wrestle Spike Chave. That's something I kind of would look, look forward to do. Uh, long and behold, the date got changed. Then Spike Chave was unavailable for that date. <laughs> um, so then the triple threat got put in forward of myself, Brady Phillips, and Lucia. Again, two people who I hadn't, at that point, I remember wrestling. I've never wrestled Brady Phillips before. Um, Liam, we had wrestled once before, but it was, again, a very, very long time ago when neither of us were where we're at now. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think, like, again, the card changed a third time, and it was just me and Liam. And then they were like, we'll do this under pure rules. And both me and Liam kind of licked our lips and were like, let's have fun with this. Um, Liam is, was, I'm going to say was criminally underrated as a talent because he's always been that good and people haven't really noticed it before. But now I feel like people are seeing 
a little bit more of just how like the reason he is how he is is because he's just so fluent in the ring that he doesn't need to put on a persona or a character arc or kind of portray this anything other than he's an authentic self or the throwback as he kind of refers to himself um and yeah without without going behind the wall too much we talked for about three minutes and then our music played and we went out wow. and had a match it was uh yeah, it just, it kind of, it was just, you know, when you, again, it's that same sort of thing, like when you have two musicians who just kind of gel really well. Um, myself and Liam kind of had one at once through, kind of talked about little things and we're like, cool. And then we went out there and did it. And again, I couldn't do that with many people. There's a few, there's like a handful of wrestlers I could do that with. And myself and Liam just have the same kind of views to wrestling. We have the same things we enjoy. We watch, we say we watch the same types of wrestling. Because again, when I went to, I went down to PC a couple of weeks after we wrestled, to kind of have a look at his training center in place and stuff. And again, the, the stuff he was showing, the footage he was watching on the TV, I was like, okay, we, we are just molded from the same cloth. Uh, yeah. And as trainers, again, seeing some of the talents come through in his place, seeing the talents go in my place, I'm like, oh, we get why wrestling is fun because it's variety act and there's different types for everything. And I, again, mad rambling and things, but going into pure rules is should be for my character out of my comfort zone. But unfortunately, it's exactly the type of wrestling I love. I'm a massive anyone who's been to the pc will talk about my love for dimalenko as a wrestler as just performer and just like um but i will watch ulmo dragon i'll watch eddie guerrero i'll watch Rey mysterio i'd watch even to i watch like so much of the wcw cruiserweights that dimalenko kind of got lost in that shuffle but he was one of the best technical wrestlers who kind of just got kind of by the wayside because he was just he wasn't a charismatic person but all his wrestling was fantastic and watching like his stuff in all Japan and watching his stuff with his brother. Just again, I could talk about Dean Malenko to the blue in the face, but um, yeah, sort of wrestling someone uh, like Liam is exactly that. He's wrestling someone who just is all about action and the personality kind of comes out through what he can do. So going into Wrestle Carnival and being the gobby guy in the green versus the wrestler and wrestling in that style is really fun for me because again, it's, it's, it's supposed to not work for my character, my persona, but it's exactly the type of wrestling I love and the type of wrestling I enjoy teaching as well. Yeah, it really works. It really does. And just a, a couple of pictures. There's yourself making your entrance, I, I believe, before your match against Liam. Uh, just going back in time a little bit, you're just before your match with uh, with Emerson there. Um, but, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Wrestle Carnival, they have their second anniversary show later on this month, the 30th of July, um, back at the H&B Empire in Coventry. And, of course, you've got uh, the current um, and, and play reigning Pure Rules champion Chris Ridgway defending his title once again against Emerson Jane. Now, I'm wondering, being as you've just uh, achieved your, your first Pure Rules win uh, in a Wrestle Carnival ring against Liam Sater back in May, I'm guessing you'll be keeping one eye on that match, uh, Sam, and uh, um, maybe putting forward may maybe another cryptic post on Instagram, I don't know, <laughs> suggesting that you want to face the winner next. Uh, but out of the two, have you got a preference? I mean, they're both uh, a highly skilled, highly accomplished, decorated uh, wrestlers um but uh, obviously they're, they're both different you faced them both you know each other very well do you have a preference um so strangely um i don't and that's only because um wrestling ridgeway is it's like wrestling myself if i'd gone to japan there's a lot of stuff that he does that I was like, I'd love to be able to do that, but I'm not as proficient in certain styles and certain things that he does, which is why he's the other trainer at the performance center. It's lo and behold, like I made a conscious choice to be put myself alongside two other people who are fantastic at what they do separately from me. Um, Emerson Jane, again, is just an absolute daredevil. Um, the stuff that she will try in the ring that I was just like, okay, cool. 
let's do this. Let's let's. She wanted to do a Spanish fly off the top rope. She wanted to do a top rope runner. She wanted to do a dive to the outside. She wanted to, and I was just like, okay, this is again, we're in the confines of a pure rules match. You don't really mm. expect that kind of type of thing. Um, I did kind of put it into the um, out in the universe about uh, wrestling potentially Tommy Kyle, who's also in the pure rules division as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, to which I mean, I think that got shut down by Gary because he was, I think he penciled that his his ideal would be that I would wrestle the winner of the Pure Rules title match and Tommy Coward wrestle Liam Slayer because they're, again, they're both recently lost, so it'd be kind of a fair trade. But again, I, I'd love to wrestle Ridgeway. Again, I could Ridgeway. I'm one of the people who could wrestle Ridgeway eight days of the week and as many bruises as I would have afterwards, I'd still want to wrestle him some more. And Emerson is fantastic and we've only been in the ring once with each other, so like I would love to do that many more times. I'm kind of, again, there's this... There's good energy when I can have a match with someone and get dropped on my head and be like, let's do that again. And they're the, they're the two people I can do that with. Now, I've got a solution. I wonder whether there's ever been a pure rules triple threat match. Now, I'd love to see that. <laughs> the, brain, the, the brain is trying to process the rules alone. <laughs> Mate, that, absolutely. You have to dedicate a whole show don't, to that match. See, don't say that to Gary because Gary will do it. That's the problem. <laughs> Uh, but uh, let me bring up some pictures. And you mentioned Giselle from Ridgeway and uh, your your kind of relationship as professional wrestlers uh, dates back to I think about 2015. Yes. Um, and uh, some of these pictures might have been when you were on slightly better terms. I don't know, but uh, more, more recent. No. <laughs> <Not laughs> well, definitely, definitely not there for sure. Um, and then more more recent uh, events. I think that's probably uh, back in Future Shock last August. Yes. Um, or, or one of your uh, many recent matches. But uh, I, I mean, what was uh, Well, you might have to explain what's going on there, but uh, clearly uh, Ridgeway getting attacked by uh, by a hooded figure yes. um, of Sam Bailey. But uh, I mean, what was it like to, to be in there with Ridgeway? Because I think, I mean, he first came onto my radar maybe 2017 um, and he's just an absolute beast and he just seems to have really turned it up over the last couple of years, having some great success uh, with, with Progress, with Noah, of course, um, and uh, like I say, a, a, a well-renowned renowned coach over at Future Shock as well, doing some wonderful things in Wrestle Carnival. He, he really is kind of a perfect pure rules champion. Um, but uh, I mean, what's it like to be in there? And I mean, you know him personally as well. Is he intense, as intense outside of the ring as he is inside the ring? Um, it's, there's, there's two levels to Chris. Like there is the, there's the persona you see in the ring. So you, you see very cold, calm, uh, calculated, everything he does serves mm. a purpose. He has no wasted motion in the rest of the ring. It's the same sort of thing he teaches as well. Like he teaches about not wasting any movement, not wasting a breath. Everything you're doing has been having a certain intent and intensity. Um, behind the scenes, again, there's still another shell where he's very guarded. Uh, again, Chris will kind of say that he doesn't really ever give compliments. He doesn't say what you did well. He'll say he'll always talk about what you can improve on, and it's again it's a teaching method that like I don't have, but it's kind of it's useful to a lot of people. Being like, you probably come backstage having one of the best matches, and you ask for feedback, and all the other guys will be like, "That was great, really fantastic, well done, blah blah." And again, you speak to Chris, and he'll be like, "This could have worked on," and immediately it's not supposed to be to deflate people. It's just to be like, "This you did this really well," and if I don't talk about it, that just means a good thing. But here is what we could tune up or do something slightly different, or maybe this move isn't quite working for you. Um, behind that layer, the, the third layer of Chris, um, an absolute goofball, the silliest person I've ever met. Um, couldn't be any further away from Chris Ridgeway that everyone else sees. Um, but that is a very guarded, like he's a very orientated, like he is career driven. He definitely wants to look after what he can do. Um, 
and protect like wrestling. He wants wrestling just to be really fun and really good. And it's really humbling to see someone who's put that much time and effort into it and getting their rewards. So again, going over to Noah and being a, a tag team champion again over there as well and yeah. getting the plaudits when he comes back over here that he's in so much demand that when we have our separate chat about training, there's certain days he can't do because he's up and down the country, traveling left, right, up, down, across into Germany, into uh, Spain, Portugal. He's just, he's so in demand and stuff. So as a, as a co-trainer, sometimes it's frustrating because I'm like, when are you actually here? Um, but as as a fellow professional, like it's fantastic for him to be getting his plaudits as a Absolutely. professional. Absolutely. And uh, I've, got, I've got to say, I'll put it out into the universe now. I'd love to have Chris on the show and just to hear his story. I'm sure it'd be a fantastic story for sure. And uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I've interviewed him quite a few times backstage, uh, yes. which I, I, th I don't think many people can say that apart from me. But uh, he is a really nice guy to speak to on a more casual level as well, for sure. And sticking with 2023, and I think one of your more recent matches, um, well, well, I'm going to say the promotion's name first, uh, Atomic Pro Wrestling. Nice. And I think they've only had a couple of shows now based uh, in Merseyside in Liverpool. Um, and uh, I want to talk about some of the more younger talent that you've had to get in the ring with recently. Um, and uh, more recently in a tag match, you've teamed with uh, Harley Hudson <laughs> yes. against the aforementioned uh, uh, Benjamin Harland and uh, Jack Nudson Axe <laughs> to, of course, teaming with Harley Hudson. And I know yes. you had a one-on-one -on -one encounter with Harley and uh, there she is <laughs> yep. giving you a good tallying off, uh, yep. presumably um, after the match with Act 2. I'm not entirely sure what went down. Um, but uh, I mean, I've had Act 2 and Harley Hudson on this show and they are really are two acts that are going to be kind of not just known throughout the UK, but I think they're going to absolutely take uh, Europe by storm very, very soon. You've been in the ring with them recently. Um, being kind of the experienced uh, pro in those matches, what was it like to be in there with such exciting talents such as Act 2 and Harley Hudson, for example? Um, so, first and foremost, I just want to say how much I hate Jack Hudson, uh, personally <laughs> and professionally. No. Um, you still um, Jack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. good. Uh, no, um, it was I mean, it's the first time I would have been in the ring with Act 2, like myself and Harley have kind of interacted. And again, like Harley's coming through the Future Shop PC a lot as well, so I've had a lot of on hand training with her to just kind of get her ready because again she is skyrocketed now like her stock is going to rise and she will go to the moon and i'm only saying this because i believe it not to boost her ego any more than she needs it because she is literally going to blow up in the next two oh, years yeah, minimum um but act two yeah um the maturity from two guys who are essentially relatively new to the industry in some regards again they they, they have been around a little while but again starting to find their feet as as act two again just so energetic so good like again don't have any ego when they come to the ring like they still brought the ring to the show at atomic and they were setting it up and they were there to help take it down they'll be on hand to do merchandise hand to help out with with flyering post those type of people that you just like you want them around like i've i met them actually i think at progress if not beforehand because they were ring know, crew ring crew yeah ring crew they're there on cameras um They've just been consistently everywhere. And again, only because they, they really love this business and they really want to be a part of it and they want to show their faces and shake hands and do everything by the book, I think is the way that with wrestling gets taught of like, you go shake hands, you got paid dues and stuff, but they are still, even though in their own right, again, um, Future Shock brought them in against Wrestle Synergy recently and probably had match of the night. And I was also on the card and it's really hard for me to say that Act 2 had a better match than me, but Act 2 um, like stole the show. 
and had a really good time. And again, a lot of conversations that were had were, we want to see Act 2 back in Future Shock. We want to see Act 2 wrestle these other teams in Future Shock. And that's amazing feedback to hear from any kind of wrestling fan, as well as like a trader, as well as kind of someone who's on board with Future Shock. Um, but yeah, a lovely time wrestling them. They did seem to batter me a lot. Um, same with Harley Hudson. It seems to be a common thing now. That's <laughs> when I go to these places and wrestle the newer talent. They seem to beat me up most of the time. But um, yeah, can't say enough nice things about Act 2. Like, if you've not seen them wrestle, go watch them. Go and speak to them. Go buy their merch because they're just the nicest two human beings that I've kind of been in around with. But I will never tell them that, just to clarify. <laughs> that's, that's another, indiv another individual I want to talk about um, is uh, Rob Drake. Now, I know that you know uh, his brother very well, James Drake, uh, almost from day one in your career. <laughs> James has kind of been uh, crisscrossed uh, through your career at, at points. And I'm sure we mentioned him again during the course of this interview but uh, Rob Drake I, I believe he trained with you at Future Shock several years ago during his first stint as a trainee and then kind of came back again maybe a couple of years ago um, where he really kind of knuckled down and he's become one of the top pros on the UK scene and you got to face him again uh, quite recently in an Odyssey pro ring um, tell us about that and especially being as you know uh, James Drake from years gone by and now to to get in the ring with his younger brother uh, Rob Drake, who's absolutely tearing it up and down the country. That must have been a pretty cool moment for you. Yeah, again, sometimes it feels like you, you, you never want to feel like you're old in wrestling, but sometimes when you're wrestling their younger brother uh, in a place <laughs> where you've wrestled their brother, it sort of like humbles you a little bit. Um, so yeah, Rob um, was training obviously at Fighting Spirit with, with his brother and with Zach Gibson, but he lived in Manchester, so it was a lot easier for him to come to me where I was coaching at the time being. So every couple of weeks, we'd just have like some one-to-ones. And again, it was just kind of, JD would always come to me and being like, how's he been? What's he doing? What does he need to improve on? And again, because I'm not biased as his brother, I could always be like, oh, he's really smashing this. Uh, maybe at this point, this little thing. And I'm trying to be really broad because, again, can't really remember what I told JD back in the day with those things. But then, obviously, um, when Fine Spirit closed and we were the kind of the, the school, a lot of people from Fine Spirit told them to come to Future Shock. So Rob came down, um, obviously, with uh, Lana as well at the same time, was was uh, one of our coaches there. So he would come down, obviously, with Lana to assist her classes as well. And it was just ring time. And again, a lot of the things that Rob, Rob always wants to push himself or Rob always wants to be like, how do I get better? Or how do I get to the next level? And he's never, it's a good and bad thing. Sometimes he's never content with what, how good he is. He's always like, well, how can I get better? What can I do yeah. now? Like, how can I, how can I get into this promotion? How can I be seen by these people? Like, and again, a lot of times of what Rob does is he's just pushing himself and he's driving himself to be bigger and better. And again, like we had a couple of matches at Odyssey. And again, my, my whole MO with, again, my persona seems to be, is I like to push buttons. I like to get under people's skin. So a lot of what I said about Rob is stop using your brother or your fiance to get yourself ahead. Start resting on your own laurels. And again, there's, there's, <laughs> my hands are clean. There's usually things I'm just saying to uh, antagonize either the Odyssey fans. It's all or in Rob. the character. It's all it's in all the persona. In the, all in the character. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, a lot of times, like it really fired him up, and he was like, "Right, well, how do we tell this story now?" Because you said very personal things about me. Like, what do you know? I was like, "Well, we we go with that." Again, the the best thing about Morecambe is it's still really Morecambe. If I say these things on Facebook um, or or Twitter. Um, the, the Morgan fan base believe the words I'm saying. They really think that what I'm saying about Rob Drake is what I really believe about Rob Drake. And they were baying for blood. They really wanted to see Rob Drake beat me up. And the story we told was that Rob, as cool and calm as he was, was not going to take some 
random person from who who credit himself as the trainer saying these negative things. And we went out there and absolutely beat the crap out of each other. Um, and it, again, the story was told correctly. We did it. Rob was was well heard. I ran away with tail between my legs um, until I came backstage, um, which was. A delightful thing of the promoters at Morgan were like, fantastic, we had a really good time. Um, you didn't read the run sheet though, did you? And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, you were supposed to win, not Rob. <laughs> and, um, and, both, <laughs> and again, I, I very rarely like to break the fourth wall when it comes to pro wrestling, but coming backstage and being told, A, fantastic match, did really well, and B, you were supposed to win and not Rob, and both me and Rob being like, ah, that's a... <laughs> awkward interaction um, because they had plans with Rob going forward, they had plans with me going forward and they were like, luckily it didn't quite affect what we were supposed to do but they were very much like, yeah, really confused our sound guy when, <laughs> when Rob won and the ring announcer as well and I was like, oh yeah, kind of yeah, hadn't really put that into place so again, hands up, sorry Odyssey but I'm but, sure uh, the story you told probably worked <laughs> out better and maybe made more sense who knows, it obviously yeah. uh, was the story you wanted to tell, tell in the ring that night <laughs> yeah, the one time where I don't read the run sheet and don't double check with the pro was like, what do you want from this, and I was like, no no we've, we've, I've got it, I've got this match in my head all sorted, we spoke to Rob, me and Rob and it, yeah, the one time we got it absolutely wrong. But <laughs> the match itself seems to have gone well So, absolutely, just a few pictures uh, from uh, the match earlier on this year and and uh, like I say, I'm, I'm sure there'll be another one in the offing. Um, but uh, absolutely fantastic. And I, I also want to talk about, I mean, I've seen you not just at Wrestle Carnival, but I've seen you backstage at Progress quite a bit in the last 12 months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you actually had your your first, and I think your your only match so far for Progress last October, but but not inside the Electric Ballroom, which is where I commonly see you, uh, but um, at the Manchester O2 Academy. And this was last October in the first round match for the Natural Progression Series. And I bring up the, the match graphic there against uh, Tate Mayfair's and uh, a little, little picture of yourself there in front of your hometown fans. Now, I can only assume, being as you're in there with Tate, um, that he was firmly the heel because he pretty much is where everyone goes. <laughs> You've got the, the rapturous uh, applause from your hometown fans. But uh, firstly, what was it like to make your progress debut and, and being in there with Tate in your in front of your hometown fans at the Manchester Road 2 Academy? Uh, that must have been a, a pretty kind of like a, a bit of a pinch yourself moment, maybe a bucket list moment for yourself ticked off there. So, yeah, it was kind of it's like a double it was kind of double box ticked moment. Like um, wrestling for progress is obviously a massive achievement for a lot of people in wrestling now with all their ties. And again, this was at the time we were on the WWE Network. And that's something that only a handful of people can say, as opposed to not signed WWE talent. Yeah. So being in there, being like, oh, we're there. Uh, B, I, I was kind of coming on for a very long run of being a very villain uh, character everywhere else apart from a progress which again because of Tate being Tate it was the one place where everyone had for years known to boo Sam Bailey he's the bad guy he's the villain that now in the in Manchester well we're gonna have to cheer this guy so the photo that you post up is literally me kind of reacting to I'm not sure how they're gonna re- react to me they might actually boo me but that is a genuine smile of like okay they're actually that's quite humbling and I'm kind of I'm smiling for real being like okay that's quite cool um and then see Tate um someone who I had kind of seen on the rise through progress of being there backstage for a little while um but being in the ring for this is the only time we've ever been in the ring together and just being like this man knows exactly how to rile up a crowd he exactly knows how, he knows exactly where to be what to do how to antagonize um I think him deciding to do a cartwheel elbow drop in the middle of that match was the antithesis of like, oh, how can I annoy these people even more? 
um, him then later telling me he's also an Arsenal fan, and I was just like, well, that's even worse. Like, you can't you can't be in Manchester proclaiming to be an Arsenal fan, especially this season. I mean, lo and behold, it, you know, it came to Manchester, but it was a, it was a hell of a like a, like all these little things, and then obviously having the brass knucks. And again, Procrones himself. If you Google him, he's that you're like if you Google the greatest professional wrestler to walk planet yeah, Earth, take my first comes up, and it does. It. Um, <laughs> Surprisingly, I tried yeah. it. I couldn't believe it, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's done his homework. Um, but yeah, it's really fun. And again, um, with regards to like me and Progress Wrestling, like I am way more in a like a backstage capacity with with them. So this was kind of a they needed someone local. They wanted a Manchester person to be part of their Manchester show. Um, I know they've done. Uh, Darius and Spike in Birmingham because Darius is a one-two-one. They've been kind of like they had a little bit where they were using the guys locally to pr- essentially promote the shows. Yeah, smart, smart marketing. Yeah. Um, so they did the show in Manchester, and who better than the guy who's been backstage every month um, to to help on the way and to bring me in? So it's really fun. Um, it, it was one of those things of being like it was a happy accident that it kind of became that match. And again, I think um, I had Yestin Reese DM me being like, "How are you in the Natural Progression series? You've been wrestling for uh, close to eighteen years." I was like, "I know Yestin, but it's the first time wrestling for Progress, so therefore it's a different kettle of fish." But um, it was nice to be part of it. It was nice to be part of the tournament. It's, it's lovely to kind of kind of look back on that match and kind of be like, I did that now and onto the next thing or onto the next, bringing the next person into that position. So the next time progress through Manchester, who's the next Manchester star to be in that position? Maybe against Tate, who knows? Oh, I, I certainly hope they bring you back. Uh, certainly, at the next Manchester show, that'd be absolutely fantastic. But um, I've got to ask you: we, we've spoken about a few highlights there from 2022 and 2023. Um, but well, where do you feel you are as an overall wrestler, maybe an overall competitor, an overall performer in 2023? Uh, some might say that you're doing some of your best work right now. Um, it's definitely. I think like 2023 is one of the year where I've kind of found my comfort zone in wrestling. Like I can be in there with pretty much anyone and have a different style of match with anyone. Like I can do hard hitting. I can do fast paced. I can do well. I don't want to say strongman stuff because I am not the size of Bullet or anyone that size. You can but do again, the like, pure rules. I can do the pure rules. Absolutely. Um, I, I always wanted to like tip my bow to every style of wrestling. I want yeah. to tip the style to Lucha Libre, tip the style to World of Sport British Wrestling, tip the style to King's Road style. Like I, I want to be able to adapt and survive to everything. Like I have a very lighthearted style when I wrestle. Like again, I wrestled Damon Lee a couple of weeks ago and the whole crowd was chanting balding. And it's very hard to wrestle someone where the whole crowd are chanting balding at the person you're wrestling. And then seconds later being like slap his head and then being like, well, I have to do this now because now this is what they want. So I'm going to have to change our style. Myself and Damon had one idea planned and went a completely different way. And because the crowd were there and it was very much students, uh, we were doing a show at the uh, Union in Manchester. So it was very student heavy. And again, the pints were, were definitely being drunk and the, the chants were getting a bit more merry and fun. Um, but I, again, like I think this year and especially like last year was kind of a prove myself sort of year because again, I think personally, I'd seen a lot of wrestlers take over the scene. Like I'd seen Darius blow up. I'd watched like Leon Slater blow up. I'd watched like Smoking Aces, Sunshine Machine. Um, loads of people who I was like, those guys are really good. And are they better than me? And not necessarily in like an ego way, but I was like, if I was in the ring with them, could I keep up? And I think like 2022 was a really, a, a year to test myself. So having matches I don't usually have. And again, having the pure rules match and being like, oh, and then a lot of people who'd never seen me wrestle that style before being like, I didn't know you could do a moonsault. I was like, yeah, 
I've been teaching it for the past six years at uh, <laughs> PC. And like, I didn't know you wrestled. You could do that technical wrestling style. I'm like, yes, as a coach, I don't have to show everything I can do. But then this is the year where I was like, maybe I should start showing an audience what I can do. Maybe I start showing other promotions what I can do. And again, like WrestleCard will really open the door to me to suddenly start appearing in different places and things and progress as well. So it's been quite of a nice year to be like, oh, I'm going to be here now and I'm doing this thing and I'm going to be doing something slightly different. And it's fun again. Like wrestling has never not been fun for me, but it became a, a job and that was became a very different. I have to hyper-focus on where the next set of income is coming from. Whereas now I'm having fun and being paid quite well for it. So I'm like, oh, this is a this is what I wanted to do when I was 17 and saw an advert on the wrestling channel. This is where we're at now. So it's yeah. quite cool. Absolutely. And uh, sticking with the Manchester theme, uh, and of course, we've got to talk about uh, Future Shock and uh, the training school, the Performance Centre in uh, in Manchester. And you said that you're one of the head coaches there alongside uh, Chris Ridgway and uh, Lizzie Ever, of course. I don't think we've mentioned uh, Lizzie too much uh, during this uh, interview so far. But but tell us about your relationship with, with Future Shock. I know that they are celebrating or about to celebrate their 19th anniversary. Um, and, uh, you know, they are renowned throughout the UK and further afield for producing some of the best talent that uh, these UK shores have ever seen, certainly from the Northwest and across the UK that have broken out um, across the UK independence, maybe further afield, been signed to WWE, NXT UK, Impact and uh, various other places. But, but tell us about um, Future Shock, because I think the majority of your career has been uh, intertwined with Future Shock and the training school. Would I be right? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I came through the Future Shock training place um, a very long time ago, many years ago. Uh, Declan O'Connor was their name. And they basically took me under their wing and basically trained me for the first 18 months. Like, again, it was it's very rare to say this, but 18 months I wasn't on shows or wrestling. I was just strictly training. I was training. I was doing ring crew. I was a cameraman. Uh, I was doing the door, uh, raffle tickets, everything you could think of with Future Shock. But I was there from uh, the first ever show they did. And I've just wake on a tangent. Uh, I set up the ring, but I had to go to my granddad's 80th birthday. But because I was so desperate to basically see a wrestling ring being set up and be part of it, that I turned up first did the ring and then left before they opened the doors to start the show. Um, so it's always my like, and that was me being like, oh yeah, I'm still part of it. I just can't be here for the show. And so I didn't get to do the fun bit of watch a wrestling show, but I got to do the really hard graft of setting up a wrestling ring. So when I see people like Act Two and those doing it, it kind of yeah. reminds me of exactly what, back. Yeah, exactly what I did when I started into it. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been around Future Shock from show one. Uh, up until now, there's been slight gaps in aliases, like taking breaks from wrestling or being yeah. hurt or instant stuff. But like, yeah, 19 years of it. And um, it's one of those things, like, I guess you, sometimes you're blind to it when you, you're there all the time. But hearing other people talk really um, strongly about Future Shock or like watching, they saw uh, their first Will Ospreay match at Future Shock, which is madness to think about, like, how big Osprey was down south, but in North hadn't really popped up so much. Um, Bringing again, bringing Pack into Future Shock. Um, next week, bringing Scotty Too Hotty to Future Shock. It's yeah. it's it's a hell of a it's a hell of a Big ride. And yeah, we, I think like <laughs> sometimes it's just right time, right place, right time with Future Shock. We've got very lucky by having um, like it'd be a miss to talk about like Damon Lee uh, and Joey and Danny, the models, uh, Joey Hayes, Danny Hope, um, and like Lana Rostin have just been such integral integral parts of Future Shock. Like Damon and Joey were on the first ever Future Shock show um and are in the northwest alone like seen as two of the biggest uh most talented people who may have gone under people's radar um danny hope again being part of the models came in from our fifth anniversary year but again it's been a mainstay and helped 
not only helped with training, but helped backstage, but just kind of been one of those people that like, is someone good to have on a show. Um, and now we're in that element where um, Big Damo uh, came to uh, Full of Wrestling Rumble, but said loads of positive things about Future Shock and the atmosphere and how much he enjoyed being backstage and how everyone was really nice. And he took a shine to one of our wrestlers who didn't have a major appearance in the Rumble, but he's like, he's got something about him. Um, and it's quite nice. I think, like, again, there, there's a there's a small sense of ownership when it comes to Future Shock and myself, but it, it's nice to kind of, like, look back and again same sort of thing of like seeing everyone else really enjoying it and seeing come people come through the school or talk about um they ask the last active gibson rip fowler sorry um where to go in in the uk and he'll immediately put future shock over or um the same with with james drake and i keep forgetting his his, his w name but i can't remember either <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's handles to james drake, but yeah um and again they're still years later talking about future shock and how they gave them the platform to do what they did ashton smith another one who um after coming back from nxt uk um again wasn't asked to but did a ring did he had his match back at future shock and he said that like, it's really nice to come home and like that was a kind of a humbling moment and a very like backstage or very much like oh people people like being here um yeah. So it's nice. And now, like, with the, being someone who was taught through the Future Shock system and is now the coach at the Future Shock system, like, um, the first thing I kind of did after kind of running it and being like, okay, we're going to do this, is I reached out to uh, Ridgeway because he had just come back from Japan. Um, I think it was just po just before the pandemic had happened or just, oh, no, during the pandemic, we'd been in contact because he talked about, like, he really wanted to get back into training and we had a unit that was not being used. So he was training there by himself when you were allowed to go to a gym. It was a nice little hidden thing for a little while. And then post-pandemic, he talked about if he could start teaching people there. So naturally, I was like, again, we are different personalities, but together we're a great little training center. And then uh, I reached out to Lana about essentially doing like a women's class because Lana, again, in the Northwest scene and now finally getting her flowers within progress and other places is really, was someone who was like, I need to bring you forward. And Lana like stuck her neck out and was like, absolutely give it a try, but will you come and help? And um, then Lana did it for like a year and a half, two years. And again, like, unfortunately she's kind of like, just kind of become too busy herself. Yeah. And again, immediately reached out to Lizzie Evo, who again, had a very, very short run with NXT UK, but learned so much in the training center there that she was coming back and telling me things that she'd done there. I was like, that's brilliant. I'd love to like teach that sort of stuff firsthand. And then with her again, she's traveled down the country, she's in 1BW, uh, TNT, Progress, ICW. I was like, well, people have people respect her name and people respect everything that she's gone through and everything she can do in a wrestling ring. So why don't we bring her in? And again, she was nervous about coaching but again three weeks four weeks in she's got the same trainers same uh, trainees coming every week and uh, she wasn't here last week and literally three or four people were like why are you here sam i was like well, because i love this place <laughs> where's lizzie and i was like uh, she's not here but also hi i exist um but it's good to have that atmosphere where there is yeah. three different options there's not just me and i feel like when i started training i went to different training schools and went everywhere and tried to learn as many different things as many different styles and some good some bad but i learned from everyone and i kind of wanted to make that with the pc be the same sort of thing like i hate Absolutely. i hate using the term school which is why i say pc or performance center a lot yes because people have that negative <clears throat> connotation of being a school and like this is a luxury sort of thing you're learning but i, call, I use the term performance center not to rip off we and they calling it performance center but also like you're learning to perform you're learning to do all these other things and also it's a fun group 
like again I, I come from a football coaching background so a lot of things we got taught was how do we make football fun for younger people how do we make it still fun and enjoyable for older people and where's that middle ground and then when I came back to doing it into wrestling I was like same thing it needs to be fun enjoyable this is this is theatre with falling. So how do we make theatre with falling fun to everyone, not just wrestling fans, but people who potentially want to become wrestlers? And how do you find that middle ground? And now we've offered referee courses because of James Greenwood being like, I would love to give back. So now we're starting to do a ref courses uh, once a month as well. And those referees are coming to my match planning classes. So they're learning about um, how we put together matches and how we should uh, adhere to the rules and sort of things. So it's, Mental health is now rules for everyone. We have a promo class with Chris Brooker. Like, there's so many things that you kind of don't even think about. Um, he had a seminar, a Zoom seminar, not that long ago with Kevin Kelly, uh, talking about commentaries. He had Nigel McGuinness as well. So, again, the whole idea with with me and the PC was like, how do I make wrestling accessible to everyone? Maybe wrestling isn't for you. Maybe commentary is. Maybe refereeing is. Maybe learning just how to do it is fun and stuff. Or maybe they just do it for the exercise. We've had people who are like, I never want to be a wrestler, but I really enjoy this, this this cardio routine we do, all these exercises and things. So I just try, I know I went way off on a tangent, I do apologize. Um, but like, yeah, I just want to make wrestling fun and enjoyable and find a different aspect for everyone. And that's kind of what we're just about. I, I always want to be humble about it, but I say like, that's what we're trying to get with the Future Shop PC. Absolutely. And I'm going to bring up some pictures here. I think this might be, uh, is that a, a recent photo there of uh, some of your, your trainees? <laughs> so um, that that is a recent beginners course. So we ah. they had just finished their four weeks. Uh, we had a couple of helpers there who I, I um, the top top left uh, is Garth, who's one of our helpers. The middle is uh, Adam, one of our helpers as well. So they come, even though they've done the beginners course and Sam Pelley yeah. in the background as well. Um, they've come and done the beginners course and now a couple of months later they've come and helped so again they've they've done they've gone through the system that the, the, all these people have just done their four weeks so now on a saturday they come back and we run through the same four weeks we do like a crash course similar with driving you you teach them the same things over the four weeks and it doesn't really change but then after the four weeks we go into way more depth and detail because there'll be some people who stick around and go i really want to do this some people going i've done it i've taken my bumps i hated it but thank you for letting me learn um and again like it's it's nice to Again, I think my my hyper dream, like way down the line, is that half the people I've taught are then now teaching at the PC. Like I wanted to kind of oh, keep great. fulfilling and having the next wave of people become coaches. And does that mean I get to spend more time at home playing video games? Yes, but <laughs> I, I but the idea is that I want to make sure that that PC forever keeps going. And whether that be through me or through other people, or again, like Ridgeway. And Japan is becoming more and more of a current thing. So Ridgeway is becoming less. We've had Sonna Derson coming in as a trainer and Joe Blazer uh, coming in a few times and stuff. And having just that wave of people who are talented wrestlers but are now giving back and giving back in a different way that isn't just up and down the country performing. It's now giving back to our trainees. And I think we're all kind of enjoying that process of trying to figure out what we want to do. And, um, yeah, grab, moving it on to the next level, but keeping wrestling fun, which is the Absolutely. most important thing. And uh, we had a question that came through a few moments ago from uh, Abby Marie Thomas. Uh, is there anyone coming up in the Future Shock PC that you're excited about uh, that we can look out for on the wrestling scene? Drop some names. <laughs> so, some I, to be honest, I was going to ask exactly the same question, but you must be pretty excited about some of your, uh, let's say, more advanced trainees that might be breaking out and uh, uh, potentially making a bit of a name for themselves. And uh, who should we be looking out for? 
Ooh, so this is where I get into trouble because there'll be people I miss out. And uh, um, I don't want to miss out on anyone who's kind of you've seen a lot of. So again, like a lot of the established names are already out there. But um, coming through at the moment, uh, there is C.P. Riley, who is uh, going to be wrestling Sky to Hyde next week, which is a massive moment for him. Um, there is Prince Pele, who I talked about, uh, Sam, who was uh, one of our trainees who came through. I think he debuted this is 10 weeks ago was his first technical, technically first match we had at Future Shock and has wrestled uh, Infamous and had another match at Future Shock in the Battle Royale. Uh, there is Dr. Proctor, who I wish everyone could see um, the star that's going to come out of Dr. Proctor. Um, on the women's division, um, we've got Helen, uh, HCC, um, who's just come back. Um, like, I, I feel really weird saying trainee because they've been rest they were wrestling such a long time ago and then took a really long hiatus, but then came back. But it's just like, again, since they've come back, it's like they've not lost a step. They've been fantastic in and out of the ring. Um, there's a whole ton of people that I'm definitely missing out on. Um, but yeah, there's there's um, there's Tom who's still in his training stages and stuff, but he's starting to get that one. Um, again, I'm trying not to like outwardly put people out there, but like there's people who over the next six months you'll see a lot more of. Um, I don't want to take credit for Declan McCarthy, but Declan McCarthy, who's obviously at Atomic as well as like Future Shock and a few other places, he's blowing up. Aiden Steen, Dave Birch. Again, don't want to take credit for Dave Birch. He's fantastic talent in his own right and was doing stuff before he came to us. But just so many people that are coming through and like I'm kind of uh, Briac Strong. I see this is where my brain's catched up with people I'm supposed to not mention. Um, Tony Wright, again, I don't need to blow any more smoke on oh, Tony Wright. He's He's got his own path set yeah. up now. Yeah. And he's doing fantastic for himself. But it's always, again, there's so many people coming through the future of PC. And, like, again, Chris would have a completely different list. I'm sure Lizzie would have a completely different list. But um, there's so An many exciting people. crop of talent coming yes. through, for sure, by the sounds of it. Really exciting. Um, let me ask you, how can people get in touch with Future Shock if they're interested in possibly uh, starting as a brand new trainee or if they want to give your PC a, a try uh, where they might have been training elsewhere before? So how can they get in touch? Um, so via Twitter, it's at Future Shock PC. Um, or if you go to the Future Shock Wrestling Twitter account, they kind of they're, they're intertwined to the same. So if you message one, you'll get reply from the other. Uh, otherwise, if you go to our website, futureshockwrestling.co.uk forward slash training, there is uh, the information of like what we do as well as an email address. Uh, we have a beginners crash course week coming up at the end of July, start of August, which is five days, uh, Monday to Friday training with me, learning everything you can five hours a day for training. And then the week after there's an advanced week with Chris, um, which again is uh, five days, 12 till five, Monday to Friday. It's gonna be a hell of a, a seven, a five day course of things. Yeah. Um, but we also, every other month we run uh, crash courses, we do beginners courses, we do sessions Monday to Saturday. We're pretty much open seven days. The only day we have off is Sunday because both me and Chris are immensely busy people. Um, but even then on the Sundays, once a month, we have our referee course um, with, with uh, Greenwood. So yeah, it's uh, on Twitter or Facebook. Um, if you go to a future shop wrestling, you usually should be able to get a reply within 20 to 48 hours, depending on how busy um, we are. But uh, yeah, future shop PC or future wrestling on social media. Absolutely fantastic. Now, briefly, tell me about your, your wrestling fandom, because uh, you've been in the business for 17 years or so now. Um, I'm guessing that you were a huge fan of the sport before getting into the business. Tell us about how it first came into your life and, and kind of what sort of impact it had on you back in them early days. So, yeah, my first, my first like inkling of wrestling, I was four. 
years wow. old. And this is a story that I've, I definitely don't think I remembered, but it's definitely been told to me enough times. Um, I was a very energetic child. So I played a lot of sports. I was always up and down. Again, uh, as at four years old, I was just doing my mum and dad in, running them ragged and stuff. And they put on TNT, which was the cartoon network that changed to TNT after 9 p.m., I think it was, gotcha. 8 p.m. Yeah. Um, and it was wrestling. It was WCW. And I think the match I watched was a Sting and Flair match of some point in time. I can't find the actual match. I've not found it, things. But apparently, I basically just was glued to Sting. So this was probably just towards the end of Surface Sting. So it was still kind of existing of the blonde hair, the face paint. And I just was fascinated and bamboozled by it. So from that day on, I became a massive Sting fan. So anytime wrestling came on the TV, basically, I would shut up for 45 minutes to an hour. I was the only time I wasn't trying to kick a football around or running outside or doing something else. So I think my dad saw that and was like, okay, this seems to be a thing that he enjoys. So he took me to, I think many years later, WCW 2000, probably their last tour of the UK, where I got to watch Dustin Rose and Terry Funk fight over a rubber chicken. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't exactly the stars of WCW at that point. It was whoever was left. Um, but then I remember like Bret Hart coming out and having a speech and I didn't really know about WWF at the time. I was a WCW diehard fan. I knew about Goldberg. I knew about Kevin Nash. I knew about Scott Stark. Like I knew about WCW and that was it. Um, fast forward to like 2000 and Channel 4 started watching wrestling and the Royal Rumble pay-per-view had gone on and uh, I begged my mum to record it for me. So she'd recorded it. But the, you know, the one thing that my mum started to, because again, she wasn't really a wrestling fan. She still probably isn't. Um, but she decided to press play at one point during the match and saw Cactus Jack and Triple H having a street fight and thumbtacks being in the ring and Cactus Jack being covered in blood and Triple H being covered in blood. And she's like, you're not watching that. Absolutely not. I'm, I'm banning you from watching wrestling ever again. But she didn't take the, the videotape out of the VCR. So um, as she went <laughs> to work... I pressed play and watched the entire Royal Rumble pay-per-view, saw the Hardy Boys for the first time, saw the tables match, saw the street fight, was mesmerized, saw the rock properly for the first time. I was like, right, this is this is what I want to do. Um, well, this is what I want to watch as a, as, a, as a teenager, kind of getting into wrestling. And then, yeah, it's turned 17. And again, the wrestling channel was a big thing at that time. So having Freeview, the wrestling channel was on Sky. And my friend turned up and was like, hey, I've just started this training school. I need someone to go with. And I, he knew I was sporty, knew I liked wrestling, but kind of knew that I wasn't really like doing anything sport-wise. I was like, you know what, I'll give it a go. And turned up at a place called Salah's Gym, uh, which I don't think still exists. But yeah, turned up, there was a 20-foot wrestling ring, there was a full wow. matted area, there was a gym, there was lots of people doing martial arts. I was terrified, but there was also lots of geeky kids wearing various band or wrestling t-shirts uh, in knee pads and, and trainers being like, hey man, what's it going? And I, I, yeah, just fell in love with it there. I got to do my roles, to hook my first ever bump. Uh, the, the ring um, was like, so it was cable ropes. So they're very rare that you won't see them in the UK that much, but they were cable ropes with a garden hose that were taped over. And they were the, the toughest ropes you'll ever hit. And the ring had no bounce or no give, but I was in a wrestling ring. So it was the coolest thing I ever did. But um, yeah, day one, I was te per te words. I was petrified. So I said nothing. I spoke to two or three people who were all having their first ever session. And um, the trainer came over, which was Declan, the guy who trained me. And he was like, oh, and what's your name? I was like, oh, Sam. He's like, right, lock up with me. I locked up and I scratched him right in the face. Ooh. 
first thing I ever did is I went to, as I went to Stanford, just had a sharp thumb or something and just scratched him right across the face. And he was like, right, well, I'm going to have a memory of you for the rest of my existence. Uh, thanks for that. Um, luckily, he took that in jest, but I was obviously mortified that I've just hurt the trainer for the, the session. But uh, yeah, kept, kept going back. They, they did every Saturday and Sunday. And they did like a Thursday as like an open day to go and like uh, transfer. I went every day, like every session. I, I literally got a job so I could afford to train wrestling. Uh, I trained there for 18 months. And this was around the time the FWA was a big thing. So I got to go to the FWA shows as part of the crew. Um, and yeah, just like snowballed and it just became everything. So um, I got told off at work for being late. And they were like, why are you late? I was like, oh, I was at training. And they were like, well, you need to focus on either a job or wrestling. I was like, oh, wrestling. I don't, this is just a job for me. And then, yeah, it took took 15 of those years of just kind of doing it and having fun with it to be like, I want to make this a priority. And then we opened the Future Shop PC. I became self-employed and this became a full-time job. And like, that's a very long, a very long-winded way to go. And now I'm a wrestler. But um, yeah, it was just, it was sort of the, that itch I couldn't ever scratch. I couldn't get away from wrestling. It was always around it. And like met some of my best friends through it. Um, got so many fun stories from it. So many fun road, road trips, Chinese merchandise, um, and some nice silverware as well to kind of have it. So it's been, it's been fun. And then 17 years, can't stop doing it. Absolutely. Now, I had uh, Sam Gradwell on my show uh, last year, uh, probably about 10 months ago now. And uh, he kind of introduced me to a, a company called uh, Grand Pro Wrestling. Uh, now, I think he started a few years after you, but that was also a company that you kind of cut your teeth with as well, um, as well as Future Shock at the time. It's certainly the first two or three years uh, wrestling out of the, 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 I think it's called the, the Monaco Ballroom. Yes. Um, but uh, what are your recollections of kind of your first couple of years in the business, learning the ropes, um, literally, and, and kind of like <laughs> wrestling out of the Monaco ballroom and, and GPW. So GPW was, was, they were the first people to book me outside of Future Shock. So I was a Future Shock guy, but uh, GPW had seen me. I'd done, I think I'd done a, uh, like an outdoor carnival show for them as kind of like a, like they just needed people to be part of the show. And Johnny Brannigan saw me and was like, I want you to wrestle for us. Um, it, the Monaco Ballroom is, again, like I know we're probably talking about, they, they've just had their first show back and it's their 20th anniversary today. Um, so it's kind of a cool thing to talk about. But the Monaco yeah. Ballroom is like a special place. Um, because again, when I was training, I used to go to GPW and watch their shows because they felt different to wrestling shows. Like the fan base knew everyone. They knew every storyline. They the, the fans cared. It wasn't just they're putting on a wrestling show and you're going to watch some good matches. They cared about who they cared about. They really disliked these other guys. They they knew the backstory. They had a video screen, which again in early folklore of British wrestling didn't exist. And what do you mean they've got a video of their end? They've got a Titan Tron. This is madness. <laughs> they had an entranceway. They had guardrails. I was like, this is this is a real deal. And uh, Johnny Brannigan, yeah, had spoken to me about like, oh, like got this idea. Uh, I want to bring you in. Uh, we'll, do, we'll do like a, a match with a couple of other guys. Well, this is the voice he uses because that's his voice. Um, and the week before I uh, had my first injury. So I damaged my collarbone um, and was like, I don't think I can do this. I can't think I can do this match. But again, I got a shoulder strap, shoulder support, which now needs to be the, the in thing in wrestling, in British wrestling, everyone has a <laughs> shoulder injury. But I got a shoulder support, this big monstrosity blue thing that was like across half my body. But I was like, I can do the match. Um, other people in the match, um, Danny Hope was another person who, again, my first match in GPW was with someone who's, again, a lifelong friend now. But he had had a car crash the morning of the show. 
So it was, it was just a match where like everyone in this match somehow has some various injury. Um, so yeah, having my first match in a four-way with, with Danny Hope and a few other people, I was like, it's really fun. So Danny Hope does his classic Triple H high knee. He's done it thousands of times. I've seen him do it. Great stuff. This time, however, he loses his balance. So he hits this high knee and he falls. He falls, but he's falling into me, who has a really bad shoulder injury. <laughs> and we just like he falls on top of me, right onto my shoulder. Like he hurts his wrist, which is already hurt from the previous cut. Just again, the calamity of everything that could go wrong in this match could have gone wrong. Uh, we finished the match. Everything kind of went to, 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 to the end. We got backstage, and no one else had noticed. Me and me and Danny are licking our wounds, looking like the most like we're the Walking Dead zombies coming backstage. And I was like, "That was really good. It's really fun. Like you had a really good time." Blah blah. blah. We were like, "Okay, cool." Um, and then yeah, I got to meet um, Matt Richards, who's a massive part of my history. The rest of me did WKD in in, in GPW. Again, weird for two nineteen year olds to promote alcoholic beverages in a little place in Wigan, but we were, we were WKD. So we had, we got to entrances with uh, glow sticks and like turn the lights out and have like essentially like a mini rave, nice. um, <laughs> which again, in, in the, in the, all the places in Wigan, it was the weirdest place, but it worked because the crowd loved us. Uh, we got to have feuds with um, Danny Hope and Jiggy Walker with the Milan field connection. Cause uh, Jiggy Walker was from Liverpool and Danny was the Cowboys of Milan. Great name. Um, but had to like, got to have my first ever street fight, got to do, Mad thing, like um, Torno Cybernetico match, which again is only really seen in Mexico where you have eight participants and it's lucha rules and things and stuff I never thought I'd ever do in wrestling. I was doing in my first two, three years in wow. uh, GPW. Uh, I won their British Championship. I was part of their evil faction of outside guys where we were the cause, um, where we came out to static music and, <laughs> and, and we're all evil. And again, uh, I had a last man standing match with Sam Gradwell um, in his previous moniker when he was RJM. Um, and again, same sort of thing if neither of us really had thought to do something like that, but we got to really cut our teeth. So GPW like has, again, same sort of thing like Future Shock. It has so many fond memories with wrestlers alone, as well as um, I think Lucy Skye. Um, who's a fantastic wrestler. She's coming through. She was a fan of GPW when she started. She used to watch as a child GPW. I think she's talking about like when she was like four or five coming to a show and getting a Sam Bailey autograph. And then again, many years later, being like, we're on the same show together and we're peers. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird mind freak sometimes. Strange how this business works. Yeah. <laughs> Strange but, um, how it works. But to, I mean, skip ahead a little bit. I mean, just very briefly. 2007 2008 you become the gpw tag team titles uh you have a, 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 sorry you, you have a fun program over the tag team titles you have a, a, a tables hubcaps and chairs match if i'm not mistaken the following yeah. year you became yes. uh, the second ever future shock champion uh and you ended the year as a gpw british champion <clears throat> excuse me champion in the december um so 2007 and 2008 appears to be where you feel a lot more comfortable as a performer getting a little bit of success having some good matches under your belt as well both for gpw and future shock so you must have felt, felt like, you know, the, the formative years, the first couple of years were kind of where you were uh, making the mistakes. And then 2007, 2008, things seemed to be clicking a little bit. Yeah, I think like 2007, especially like leading in 2008, it was when I was like, OK, I am comfortable as a babyface. I know exactly my own shtick. I know how to get a crowd to like me. I know the moves that people are going to get excited to see. Um, where my head was wrestling wise was still, I was still under the learning tree. So again, at GPW, at Future Shock, I had much older heads telling me do this or have this idea or, or even people I was wrestling, like, um, Danny Hope had wrestled a couple of years long, 
longer than me. So having Danny kind of like advise me a little bit on like, well, this pacing is a little bit different. We should do this. Um, and Jiggy Walker, who, um, again, not really known on the scene anymore and was very much just a GPW kind of guy, but really made me understand wrestling. Um, really loved 80s wrestling, really loved like territory wrestling. Um, so, and really loved really bad wrestling sometimes as well. But like really helped me understand like sometimes the, the the bad stuff you can learn from because you can learn what they did wrong and make it better and and again like tag wrestling was such as an art that i never really thought about until i went to gpw and like we want to put you in a tag team so learning about double team moves learning about timings learning about again the referee's five count which is sometimes forgotten about in tag team wrestling and it makes mm. me angry but like learning those things kind of on the job was really like eye-opening and things and that was the time where again i was i was kind of making a lot of new friends in wrestling so i was getting to travel up and down to like sheffield and doing a little bit further afield and going to wales and little places that i was just like i never really saw wrestling as anything more than a hobby that i did in manchester and sometimes i went to wigan and did that and now oh there's these companies here there's the scotland there's london there's ireland there's like further afield there's france like and this is before like even talking about all-star wrestling who was like been who were like every weekend there's shows um but 2008 was where i kind of felt like i'd got my oh i know how to do this and i know how to be sam bailey as a performer as opposed to a trainee who's just got lucky on shows and again i think other people saw that more than me because i think i was just always happy to be there uh, when i first started wrestling and especially 2008 was where like johnny Bradigan put a lot of faith in me and the future Shot guys put a lot of faith in me about giving me like those two championships yeah, I'm going to bring up some uh, pictures, uh, quite possibly from some of them. <laughs> That's now, so much later. <laughs> is it really? Um, but uh, so, so some early pictures of, uh, of Sam Bailey here, uh, well, certainly within his first half of the career. Uh, there's the shoulder strap that you was referring to. Strap, moment yeah. I can feel you cringing here, Sam. Are you it's, okay? It's, no, it's fine. It's <laughs> and fine. and that's, that's a picture of you there. Um, I think after you won the NGW title for the first time, if I'm not mistaken. So the second picture, yeah, the big gold belt is the, yeah, there it is, the NGW championship. That was after the second anniversary year. That's just right. Just to date it. Um, and yeah, it was a England... So the photo is me and Lionheart. Uh, so we did, they did an England versus Scotland show in NGW. So um, uh, yeah, it was, again, I think it was the, maybe the first time, I think the only time myself and Lionheart even wrestled. And again, doing, they were fantastic at coming down to Hull and being like, we're going to play the Scottish National Anthem and we're going to hit England. And again, they brought me out to be like, well, I'm representing England, but also NGW. And it, um, the only time you'll ever see me in white tights because they are incredibly see-through, as I was told, uh, by many a mother <laughs> at the show afterwards. Um, but yeah, it was a really fun time. And again, that was finding my feet as a main event babyface. So again, even though, again, I'd done stuff at Future Shock as the champion, at GPW, I was still the guy who was in like the earlier match cards and things. And having to talk for the first time, do promos, which was something that just wasn't in my wheelhouse. I wasn't comfortable. Again, fast forwarding to now where this is literally what I do for a, a semi-living. Um, but it was really hard to talk about an audience and get an audience to care about me and not just stutter or just say the classic at the end of the day when it's all said and done and all the when this uh, all the classic all the cliches tropes, yeah <laughs> that's what I was doing because I didn't know I, that's how wrestlers spoke and do all wrestlers have an American accent do they all sound very similar um, to making those mistakes but again at the same time um, I think the first photo where you showed Notorious BAD that was kind of my foray back into wrestling at Future Shock a little bit more and working with. The newer guys coming through so again again the shoulder strap is still, is still there yeah. um but sean uh 
Sean Daniels uh, at the time was like one of the upstarts. He was just, again, another talented individual, but personality wise, didn't really find a character. So me being a little bit more charismatic and kind of finding my own skin, I was like, right, well, we'll work together. We'll come up with some ideas and do stuff. Little did I know how talented he was. Like he could, like I would say an idea and in 50 minutes he could do it. I'd be like, how about this as a tag team thing? And then 20 minutes later, he did it. Um, just incredible talent. And again, he um, found his grip. I think, he, I think he went to Universal and was working over there in America. Like he's a massive basketball fan. So he kind of found a different niche he did, but would always message me and be like, thank you for looking after me. His dad would always be like, he had so much fun in wrestling and things. And I think just because we got to do it, he had a lot of fun in wrestling. I think that was always my focus of like, I don't want this to be stressful for people in their first year. I don't want people to come into wrestling and be like, it's really hard and it's really demoralizing and why am I not getting booked and why am I not doing this thing? It's like, no, yeah. let's make wrestling fun. Um, and yes, there was many a human caterpillar spot in, in our tag team matches, which I will not go any further into. This time. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure we don't need to know. Not on a Sunday <laughs> evening. But, uh, <laughs> one person I want to speak to you about, um, and uh, I, I think someone that um, I've spoken about on this show numerous times, but um, you wrestled so many times in your first half of your career and that's chris travis um yes. and chris chris was someone that you performed with certainly in your first few years uh later down the line you would wrestle with him uh in a pcw ring and of course you performed on an attack show or attack shows in 2017 the chris travis tag team invitational tournaments uh in memorial of uh, chris's passing of course w what are your memories of working with chris travis um, and just being around the guy backstage and, and certainly working with him, certainly in, your, in the first half of your career. Um, so mine and Chris's first interaction was a negative one. <laughs> oh, yeah, <We>, uh, <laughs> really. Again, it has a, it has a better story going forward. But um, we it was the night myself and uh, Matt, Matt Delirium, uh, Taylor um, won the GPW tag team trophy. So we were in a tag team gauntlet. Um, they were the tag team champions, Project Ego, which was him and Scotty. Oh, his name's gone. Him and uh, his tag partner, Scotty something, can't remember his last name, but yeah. we'll cover it for like 20 minutes. Uh, we're losing the tag team champions, but there was a big argument backstage with the promoter because they didn't really want, they didn't feel like they wanted to lose. They didn't want to lose in the way they were going to lose because we were going to pin them and then go on and wrestle someone else and then beat them. Because it was like a gauntlet. And it was a really big like hoo-ha about it. And we were like, again, myself and Matt were just kind of there. We were like, cool, whatever you want to do. And um, we had it like, we, as we were in the ring, like it just, everything felt really awkward. Everything went really off. And again, it might have just been that they were a little bit annoyed with everything, but everything felt twice as hard. So like um, I took a Chris Travis hit me with a spiral tap and basically landed entirely on like his legs hit me in the face. Um, I got hit with a splash and it felt like someone had ran through me. I, every move just felt a little bit more aggressive and a bit more uh, assertive with it. And it was probably the first time I've ever had like kind of like bad experience in the wrestling ring. So I went over to Chris and was like, sorry, what, is there a problem here? And we had a big old fight <laughs> verbally, not physical. But then um, a few weeks later, we had a, like a separate chat. I was like, look, no hard feelings. Just like want to say like, this didn't feel really right. He apologized, blah, blah, blah. That was our first interaction. Really negative experience of me and Chris Travis having like a big to-do. Um, six months after that, um, I wrestled on a show in Sheffield. It was me and Chris Travis wrestling for the NBW championship in somewhere in the middle of nowhere uh me and, Chris, and again it's only this is the second time we've ever met each other after the first falling out um out of nowhere 
the best match I had up to that point. Wow. Like we just clicked everything he did. I knew everything I did. He knew we just like instantly just had some chemistry where it's just like, because there was no ego. I know he has the name project ego, but because there was no ego, because we were just there to have a really good wrestling match. There was no story links. We just instantly just like everything was really fun. And found out we had the same kind of like passion in the video games. We like really enjoyed like the nightlife scene. We were kind of not that similar in ages and things, just like, and we realized like a lot of our mutual friends were all the same in wrestling. We were just like, oh, we're just, we're one set removed from everyone. Best time ever. Um, a week later, he invited me. He was like, oh, do you fancy coming out in Sheffield? And I was like, we've met each other twice. First time wouldn't go very so well. The second time <laughs> we had a good match, but but you invited me out to Sheffield and we went out in Sheffield with a bunch of wrestlers and things. And like for basically a, a year, maybe two years, every weekend I would go to Sheffield and me and Chris would go on a night out with a bunch of wrestlers, sometimes without wrestlers. Sometimes Tuesday evening, you'd be like, I'm bored, you want to come out? And I would get a train to Sheffield. Me and Chris Travis would go to Sheffield and go to night out and go to Corporation or No DQ. Uh, we, we called it No DQ, definitely wasn't called that, but that was what we named it as wrestling. <laughs> I just had a really good night. Um, uh, Chris was like the life of a party. He was a big hothead, but like, I love that dude because he just had the best brain for wrestling and the best energy. And he was like an annoying little brother, even though he was older than me. So as a man who would go out so often, he could not hold his alcohol. There's various times where he was wearing the tightest chinos I've ever seen. He fell over and I looked, I, I took like five steps to turn around and he was still lying on the floor with his hands like this going, <laughs> help me. Um, he couldn't get up. He couldn't get up. Um, <laughs> Many stories I could never tell anyone else because, again, Chris was that type of person where he would always get himself into trouble and get himself out of trouble with the gift of the gab or kissing the wrong girl um, at the time. But then, like, um, yeah, after that one, we kind of, like, he, he had obviously his, his issues with, um, with, with with his cancer and things and stuff. And, yeah. like, again, he found his partner then and they had a really, really good relationship and they were just good to each other. Uh, we got to spend, like, a Christmas meal together with a bunch of wrestlers and it was just, it was like old, like, I know he was dealing with so much things, but he, you could not tell. He wouldn't, he wouldn't ever kind of open up to what he was dealing with and stuff. And like, he, uh, he was doing the, the tag thing was really like emotionally, like everyone there. It was really emotional for all of us because I think that everyone in that map, everyone in that tournament had like a special connection to him in one way or another. Um, but it was just so happy and heartwarming to kind of be part of it and be, Evolved. And again, even with Attack, like they didn't have to do that, but tagging his name onto it and putting all the proceeds to it and doing the pink shirts and stuff. And I, uh, it just, it was a really special thing. And I was kind of happy to be part of it. And yeah, um, that man, that man's name should always live on in, bro in British wrestling, especially because uh, he deserves his flowers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I want to bring up uh, this person here. I think you alluded to him earlier on. Uh, Zachy oh, Gibson or, oh. or Rick Fowler. That, that's uh, an oh. interesting photo if I've ever oh. seen one. And hair. I've hair. not seen hair. Yeah. Zach with hair for, for such a long time. But just a few pictures of uh, the two of you. And I think the two of you started teaming around 2012. You teamed for a solid couple of years, mostly in NGW yes. uh, with the uh, NGW Tag Team Champions, I think for 400 plus days, which is yes. absolutely phenomenal. Uh, you were entitled the the, imagina the imaginatively titled Team GB. Yes. And of course, <laughs> around uh, 2012, that would have made perfect sense with the Olympics, the London yes. Olympics, of course. Um, but, and of course, you were also the, uh, I don't know, the, the co-owner of the 24-7. 
seven championship there at attack, but uh, less than 24 hours, we were technically the co champions <laughs> of uh, yeah, attacks. Yeah, tell us a bit about your your kind of relationship with, with Zach there or Rip Fowler. Uh, we'll call him Zach for the purpose we'll of this Zach, podcast. <laughs> um, but but obviously, the two of you uh knew each other very well, got on great tagged together an awful lot especially in ngw i think everywhere else you you were pretty much right in, <laughs> NG, in ngw you were tag team uh, tag yeah. team partners and tag team champions in that 400 day reign but um a really good friendship and a fantastic partnership as well between the two of you back well i'm sure you are still friendly with him but certainly those two or three years uh, yeah so uh, uh, again I, I i talk so strongly about ngw ngw had um recently turned me villain um as after someone had referred to me as the John Cena of NGW, this was around the time where John Cena never lost in WWE and everyone hated John Cena, but they were supposed to still cheer him. I was getting that kind of reaction. I was still the good guy in NGW, but they were starting to get sick of me winning um, or being the, in the main event and vice versa. So they were like, we're going to change, we're going to turn you into a villain. We really want to change your persona. We don't make you the opposite to what you are. Um, so I was like, right. And they're like, we want to put you with someone. Is there anyone you could come to mind that comes to someone? And I was like, no, no one I can think of. Don't really have anyone in mind and stuff. And they're like, well, what about what about Zach Gibson? And I was like, I guess that could work. I guess like a, a, a mouthy mank and a mouthy scouser. But again, at this time, Gibson wasn't really the mouthy scouser yet. He was doing the scout stuff, but he hadn't. And now we all know and love that promo of the soon to be recognized, but that hadn't existed yet. He was just Zach Gibson. He was yeah. um, match of the night. Uh, he used to have the MOTN on his CM Punk tribute shorts. Um, I'm sure you'll love me mentioning that. Um, <laughs> um, but again, had the long hair, kind of a done heel a little bit. We had to wrestle. I think I'd had his second ever match in a place in Preston called 21CW. And I found out late, light years later, it was his second ever match and we wrestled each wow. other. Um, when he was Zach Diamond, prior to Zach Gibson. Um, he's, had, he's had some names. Um, but yeah, NGW were like, we want to put you with someone, we want to do like a tag thing with you and Gibson. And I was like, sweet, let's see how it works. Blah, blah. We had uh, Gibson run interference on one of our matches and then me and Gibson kind of went to the team. So I came up with the name Team GB. Now again, obviously 2012 Olympics had happened. It was really things. Um, my thought process was I wanted to have a team name that was Gibson and Bailey. And I couldn't think of any other names. I was trying to think of like a Manchester Liverpool connection. Um, I, I'm going to tell this story now so that, that Lizzie Evo and Alexis Falcon can't take all the credit for this. The M62 Wrecking Crew was mining Gibson's like placeholder name that I gave to Alex as a joke six a few months ago before they announced that on Eve they are now the M62 Wrecking Crew. I'm taking full credit for that for Alexis. <laughs> you heard um, me here first. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, so through like a few names. We started with Team GB, and I was like, um, we created a crest, which was the Liver Bird and the Red Devil. Um, and for ages, um, Gibson, we got matching tag gear. We got the jackets, which were Champions League jackets that had our name printed on the back. We had the, the Champions League music play, which is why we have our backs to the cameras. So we did the, through the pose uh -huh. like, well, the camera down the line. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it, about six months into us being the tag team champions, or no, six months into being, being a tag team, Gibson was like, it's like, oh, I just thought we were called Team GB because of like Great Britain. I was like, no. <laughs> like, Gibson Bailey was like, oh, that's really, that's really cool. That makes more sense. And I was like, how, how long have you not known this? Like, um, so I give Gibson credit. He's, yeah. But um, it was one of those things of being like, yeah, everywhere else we're wrestling, we're better enemies. So again, we wrestled in Liverpool. And again, he's the Liverpool hometown. I'm from Manchester. Instant got a rivalry. 
Went in Manchester. I'm the local Manchester hometown boy. He's from Liverpool. Instant rivalry. So a lot of times we'd wrestled each other so much that we kind of knew each other's stuff. That when we tagged together, it was like, oh, right. Well, if you do this at this point, I'll do this at this point. And we we knew each other's stuff. I know I always kind of talk about chemistry having people with Gibson. It was just second nature, and he was such a big tag team wrestling fan that like he didn't have a chance to do it. So like if you see the stuff now with him and Drake, that stuff was in his brain for years. That was stuff he was running with us in NGW that. Um, he like manifested and now it's like on TV and I'm watching it and being like, oh, that's an evolution to what we kind of talked about backstage wrestling X, Y, and Z. And um, his brain for wrestling is like incredible. Like oh. um, when he opened Fighting Spirit, on top of obviously being in the World of Sport pilot, on top of being in NXT UK, on top of being signed to be in NXT, like he just, he just loved wrestling. That's all he could do. It was wrestling and working out at the gym. And sometimes talking about football, but mainly wrestling and going to the gym. And like when he got, when again, when he started doing the My Name is that Gibson soon to be recognized as like that, that promo was all him. That was, that was underneath the skin the entire time. And the moment that like, I think I saw it on like a viral video of him doing it with the shoes off for Gibson. At, 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 um, and I was like, right, okay, this man has made it. And then, yeah, to put him with James Drake, who, again, is a workhorse. Like, the stuff that James Drake can do in a wrestling ring was perfect. There's a little bit of the sad me of me being like, well, I could have been that tag guy. But <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, there's a bigger part of me that goes, like, they work together so well. Because, again, they were everywhere. Like, when they got put together at Progress, that's because they were doing it at Fighting Spirit. They were doing it at all X, Y, and Z places. Like, they were just testing the waters. So when they finally got to, like, WWE and they were like, yeah. And they let Gibson talk. I was like, yeah, this is money. Um, still in contact with him because again he still checks in on some of his trainees who are still with me, um, and so does JD, <coughs> and he's still exactly the same. Like it's that thing of like everyone does that whole like, well they've become big stars now, but he's not. He's he's still into board games. Uh, he's <laughs> he still loves his puppy. who's not a puppy anymore. Um, yeah, he's, he's he's such a family man now. It's quite it's quite exhausting to see this <laughs> this this man child <laughs> suddenly be a responsible adult. But yeah, I'm really proud awesome. of him. And uh, I, I think when the when the shoes off, if you hate Gibson chant, really started to kind of catch fire. I don't know if you saw Money in the Bank last yeah, week when they were right. doing that for the Roman Reigns, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the Roman Reigns in the main event. I thought, oh, Zach Gibson, I hope you watched it. <laughs> <laughs> it um, I, 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 you did briefly allude to it a moment ago, but uh, you were also part of the the pilot um, for World of Sports when they brought it back for a New Year's Eve uh, one-off, didn't they? I think yes. it was New Year's Eve twenty. 16 if i've got the year right and they filmed it a few months prior a couple of months prior and you were part of that um uh, along with a lot of other individuals that then kind of made the the the, the 10-week series a year and a half later but tell us about your involvement how did you kind of get the get the opportunity to be part of that pilot um and what was your kind of impression or experience of that taping uh to yourself so I, again, I feel like sometimes I'm just in the right place at the right time when it comes to wrestling. Like they were filming it at Media City, which is in Manchester. They were looking for, like they didn't, obviously they didn't want to be very specific to regionalism because I think a lot of times they're like, ITV is going to be on the Nations Network. They don't want to have, the first thing they told Gibson is he can't do the Gibson's Liverpool stuff. He can't, they can't, they can't ostracize Liverpool for, for one night. Um, but again, I think like I was in Manchester, I was around they, uh, with wrestling, they kind of, my name was kind of being brought around a little bit. And so they brought me in for an interview and um, they spoke to me about um, how long I've been wrestling, like 
what I would like, what I like in wrestling, what I don't like in wrestling. They they saw the shoulder support and thought it was just an artistic piece, which was really funny. I was like, no, it's just an injury. Um, they also asked about my hair because I think they had a photo of me with an afro at the time. <coughs> um, they asked if I could grow it back. I was like, not in a month. Um, not really <laughs> something anyone can do. Um, and the last thing they asked me before I left the interview was, um, what are your thoughts about ladder matches? Lomel not knowing that that's what they had the plan for. So I said, I hate them. I hate planning them. I hate putting them together. They're, they're, they're dangerous. <laughs> Everyone gets hurt. Something silly happens. <coughs> and second, like, well, would you be interested in being a ladder match? I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love ladder matches. They're my favorite type of match type. Um, couldn't think of a better type to put in a bit of fun. Um, the same time, and again, because our stories are intertwined, uh, my interview was 50 minutes before Zach Gibson's interview. So me and Zach had met outside Media City beforehand. Just before he went in, he was like, what are they going to ask you? And I was like, they're going to ask you about wrestler A, wrestler B. They're going to ask you about like your character, your persona, and they're going to ask you about ladder matches. Whatever you do, talk about how much you love ladder matches. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, sound, will do. We went to the interview. And uh, he came out like fifth, uh, half an hour later, came back, and he went, all I did was talk about how much I hated ladder matches. They're the worst <laughs> thing I've ever wanted to do. I never want to do with things. Um, but yeah, so eventually got like a call. Um, <clears throat> they were speaking to us about like, um, yeah, we're going to do this date. We're going to do this show. We're planning to see if it can run for a series. We've got uh, Jim Ross uh, as one of the commentators. I was like, sorry, W Jim Ross from Raw. Jim was like, yeah, we're going to get Jim Ross in. Um, <clears throat> uh, we're going to get um, all these wrestlers in. Uh, we're going to do every time a match we're going to do a battle royal. We're going to bring Grado in. We're going to be like, we're going to try and make it like a big variety act, a big throwback to world of sport. I'm going to cough again. No, you have a drink. <laughs> you have a drink. <laughs> um, we're going to kind of throw back to World of Sport. And I think like everyone at that point had a quick of a pause because we're like, well, how much of a throwback do you want to have? Because none of us as wrestlers and performers are really akin to what people used to see in World of Sport Wrestling. And they were like, oh, no, we want to make it a cross between old school wrestling on Saturday and um, Ninja Warrior. And my brain instantly went like, but Ninja Warrior is a re like it's like Gladiator. It's a re that's reality. This is a, a so <clears throat> I'm instantly a little bit of a, like odds to what they really want from what became WOS wrestling. Yeah, um, they wanted the energy, they wanted things, but then we had a list of rules. Um, so because we we're on TV and because we weren't at a certain slot, uh, you couldn't hit anyone in the face. So you weren't allowed to close a fist. You're allowed to punch or headbutt or anything like that. Um, <laughs> us being in a ladder match, we weren't allowed to use the ladder as a weapon. <laughs> so instantly we're at this war of like, well, the cool thing about ladders is people being thrown off ladders um, or people being hit with ladders. And we were like, we can't do that. But okay. Um, they had a very uh, specific script in mind. I've realized that my lighting's just changed. Um, just going into night mode. Um, so the very specific script, but then we had to do a walkthrough. And again, something that we never really do apart, like TV is a very different atmosphere than wrestling yeah. is we had to essentially dry run the entire match. <laughs> with the ladders, with the talent, with the commentary team, to which hearing JR calling your match before you're doing it and then being like, in the 20-something years of me doing pro wrestling, I've never had to call a match before it's happened. Feeling really awkward and being like, I'm really sorry that Jim Ross is right there and having to pre-run this thing. But then got to see the video screens, got to hear my music for the first time, got to see got to put out like hey if you want tickets use my code to like it was so surreal that they were like we're filming this and it's free tickets and 
<coughs> had my mum and dad in the front row. They got upgraded because my mum was the crazy old lady with a with a handbag. She had a cane. <laughs> so she got upgraded to front row. So um, during the match, I got knocked a little bit loopy and uh, fell out the ring. And I didn't know my mum, where my mum was. I knew they were there, but I didn't know where they were. So I climb up on the, um, the, on the guardrail and I just hear this voice being like, get up, Sam, lad. And I'm like, who is that? And I look up and it's my mum banging a cane right against there. the apron telling me <laughs> to get up. And I'm like, but I didn't have any time to process that because I'm like, well, I, I will be back in a minute and, and carried on with the match and things. Um, it was a load of fun. Um, honestly, there were so many things that like being there for two days and being alongside the Jeremy Kyle show, which was also being filmed next door. <laughs> so <clears throat> we were kept in a green room, but also like next door to guests that were going to be on Jeremy Kyle later on that day. Um, hearing JR talk about me in a wrestling capacity, which was surreal. Um, seeing the adverts going on TV and being part of that advert package. Um, again, myself and Gibson went to a New Year's party. We left a New Year's party early so we could watch the replay at my house on TV um, when it, after it aired. Um, yeah, it was generally just a good buzz. And it feels quite weird to be like, we were kind of the reason why WWE UK happened. <coughs> because they got a little bit worried about ITV taking over the wrestling scene that we kind of, because of that show, yeah. they were like, we're going to put the UK tournament together. And that launched Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate and all these other people. And then like um, uh, Johnny Moss, who was part of the World of Sport thing, getting the coaches role in WWE because they were so worried about like anyone being brought back. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a mental story. Like they didn't understand wrestling. Um, watching the footage back and seeing how, much it was edited and how much it was chopped and changed. And then then hearing the same problems with the TV, uh, when the, the TV show aired, the same sort of problems that they just did not understand what a wrestling crowd, what a wrestling show should be. And there was too many fast edits and they were cutting stuff out. And yeah. they and, and they always like inside baseball, but they would remove heat from the tapings because they were like, well, this is boring. I was like, yeah, but every story needs a boring bit to get, like they just didn't quite understand why that show. But again, they had a sports editor doing the editing for the show. So someone who'd watched live sports or Ninja Warrior and these events realized that, well, we can cut out all the boring bits and just show the exciting things. And it didn't quite work. And, yeah. you know, if they, if they do come back, I do hope that they have the same idea, the same passion for it, but they also have someone who has some insight in wrestling. I think that was always the thing that was missing. But we had so much fun. It was a great time. Like, I'd love to do it again. Like, I can't say enough positive things about the talent that was there, like sharing a kind of weekend with Rampage Brown, uh, and under that century, Shah Samuels, Grado, like the Coffees, like Johnny Moss, like he's an insane talent. And again, like I'm so glad he's over there in America teaching those guys here. It was it was a fun time, and yeah. I would do it again in a heartbeat. I'm getting JR to call you. <coughs> That's uh, not half bad, oh, is it? Really? That's box ticked. Bad. Such a box ticked. <laughs> 100%, 100%. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your your gear now, because you're, you're wearing headphones right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, you're, you're, you're known, you're renowned for your headphones. Um, and uh, I'm interested <laughs> to know kind of where that part of your persona came about. Also, the all-in-one as well, uh, which uh, looks looks pretty sweet. And of course, another picture with you uh, um, in, in the headphones and, uh, of course, the green gear again. But tell us a bit about how this has evolved to the Sam Baby that we know now, the green gear, the green all-in-one, the headphones, um, and the character that goes along with it. So, yeah, the, the headphones initially was more of an aesthetic choice. I feel like a lot of times when I go into wrestling, I want to do something different. I want to look a different way to everyone else. Like um, 
prior to doing that, obviously, I'd always have the I'd have a hat. So I had like a, a poker visor that I just basically it was just a blue visor that I turned around. So I always had a backwards cap. So I used to refer to myself as the fresh pinch of future shock. So I could do the little Will Smith head to the side, head wobble. And then I was like, right, well, I'm not a good guy anymore. So how do I spin that on the head? So I'm still wanting to wear something that I can take off. So the headphones became the thing. So the headphones in my head were, well, I'm tuning everyone else out and I'm listening to my own entrance, my own track. I'm sort of creating this vibe of being like, I'm, I'm removing outside sources. Um, but what kind of became of that was it was part of my entrance. I, in the same way that like with, with WE and like Cena always comes out and has the towel and does the towel always flicks the camera before he runs off. I always have that moment where I can take my headphones off and get the crowd to properly react to me, to boo me. And then immediately I can put the headphones back on and they can boo me some more and I can't gotcha. hear it. So it just became like part of like, it was always an accessory I had. Um, the same year I started wearing headphones, so did Tyson Kidd. Really annoying that Tyson Kidd suddenly was wearing them in WWE around the same time. So a lot of people went, "Oh, you're a big Tyson Kidd fan." I was like, "I am," but this isn't the reason I wear headphones. This is just coincidence <laughs> that we're both wearing headphones. And only did it first. <laughs> yeah, I was like, technically it was me. Probably it was him, but I'm, I, I didn't see it. Um, the green gear was again. So I, <clears throat> a couple of years back, switched to uh, boxing shorts. So I had cow print boxing shorts. I had like black uh, velvet shorts. Um, uh, Ricky Hatton inspired shorts with a bit of tassels on. <clears throat> the whole idea was I wanted to do, I wanted to look different to every wrestler. And no one was really wrestling in boxing shorts at the time. Lo and behold, RPD came around and was an actual boxer. And I was like, God damn it, you, you kind of get away with it. You, you can have them. Um, so again, I wanted to wear something completely different to everyone else in the UKC. And I was like, what are people not wearing? So people were wearing singlets, people were wearing trunks, people were wearing tights, people were wearing shorts now, right? Well, I'll start, I'll come into the bodysuit. And again, like, inspired by MVP a lot because when he, he wrestles in a very similar one piece um going back to wrestling folklore and the geezers in progress back in the day and Seb uh used to wrestle in a one piece which had he had his Latin Ibrahimovic ripoff uh one piece that he wore and I was always fascinated being like I want that and then when he retired I was like I'm going to get a similar one um but the piece itself which was made by Sogo Anna who's, who's a wonderful human being was inspired by the boys so it's the uh, the Deeps character, the Aquaman ripoff um, inspired color scheme. Because I was like, I want to do something different. I want a color scheme that people don't really have. And again, green wasn't really, green and gold wasn't a color that I had seen too many people in. So I was like, right, cool. And then I showed her the picture of the, of the persona from the Deep. And she was like, I can make that. And it was an arduous process because, again, suddenly I'm wrestling in a one piece that is, <clears throat> when you're used to wrestling in shorts, which are quite breezy and airy, to wrestling something that's quite tight fitting um it's a hell of a drastic change and uh it makes my it makes me very self-conscious about um about certain parts of me that are exposed when i'm wearing wearing that gear now but um yeah just i've always wanted to stand out so the entrance is the popper pants uh is the jacket is the headphones is the hat so there's always a piece of me that has to come off so again if i'm faffing about or being the the villain that i usually am <clears throat> there's a whole process of me taking my pop pants off. There's a whole process of taking my jacket off. There's a whole process of taking my headphones off. But I always want to make sure there's that little stage of thing, like even the bottle of Prime, uh, perfect timing. <clears throat> now I've got a bottle of Prime that I come out to antagonize kids who are obsessed with that drink. So I threw uh, that wrestling carnival show specifically, I threw it backstage. Immediately walked around the ring with it. As soon as the kid wanted it, I threw it backstage. Um, even to my trainers in that one. So again, like a lot of the posts you see, the picture with the belt, you can see with my Into the Spider-Verse uh, Air Jordans, it's become something that, that's a real life obsession. I'm genuinely obsessed with my Jordan collection. But now 
uh, even my wrestling gear, I've got a pair of Nike. Um, they were basketball shoes that were kind of custom fitted to make for wrestling shoes. Um, so I want to be that kind of like self-obsessed brand ho. There it is. Um, self-obsessed brand ho that kind of like is obsessed with how he looks and how he, how he carries himself. Um, but again, yeah, the headphones thing was just a ah, cool bad guy thing that suddenly kind of snowballed into now this is what associates with me. And I'm quite happy with having branded headphones being like, hey, we love you. We would love to sponsor you. I'm like, yeah, I know they're Instagram ads, but sometimes I want them to be real. I really want, an, I want a headphone deal. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a really striking look. I love the gear. I love the colours. Um, I love the idea of the headphones as well. So uh, um, any idea on how you might want to kind of evolve it further or possibly take it to that next level if you if you feel it needs to be taken to that next level? I mean, I mean, speaking right now, maybe there is that little level of uh, do you get the the Google visor? What is, it? is it the iPod that's having the the, the, the VR system <laughs> thing? Maybe that's too dangerous. Maybe I can't physically be seen at that point. <laughs> but if there's like a custom fitted one, I know like people have had like headpieces. Like I think I remember, I don't know why it's in my brain now, but Becky Lynch had a famous like headpiece that she wore for a little while when she was making her entrance things. Like if I could get a custom fitted one, that'd be quite cool. But at the moment, I'm quite happy with the aesthetic of like having a maybe a custom like maybe maybe blacksmith uh, <laughs> coming in here and get like a custom uh, tracksuit and things like that. But like yeah, at the moment, I'm quite happy with the being a bit a bit DIY with it, but having that little entrance. Absolutely. And we're going to jump to a couple of questions just to finish off from, uh, uh, firstly, Darren Ewan, who got in touch before we went live. Are there any opponents you would like to face that you haven't done so already? So um, looks like you, you're mostly focused around the north and northwest. And uh, obviously there's a, you know, a big old country out there of, of, of talent that would love to have a match for Sam Bailey. But is there anybody in particular that's caught your eye that you'd love to get in there with that you haven't done so already? So of the, the bigger names that I have never been in the ring with, <clears throat> still again, I talked about Spike Treve. There's someone who I still like to have a really fun match with and things. Um, there is Kid Lycos, who I've never wrestled. Mm. Um, it almost very nearly happened a couple of months ago, but it, unfortunately Kid Lycos got injured. But Kid Lycos is someone I would still like to get in the ring with. Um, and then Shoot Big, why not? Uh, Dan Maloney at the moment. Uh, yeah, I can see that one. That would be amazing. Uh, and then Leon Slater as well. I've wrestled Derice, and I don't want to wrestle him again. Uh, but Leon Slater <laughs> uh, is, again, someone who's just incredible. And every time I watch him, he now calls me Unk, which makes me feel really old. But, um, but like, he's, he's again, fantastic at the moment. He's only blowing up. But of people yeah. I have never wrestled before, those four would be amazing. Yeah. And uh, Vusik, let's make that one happen. Oh, get get don't a match with Vusik. What about this one from friend of the show, Richie? Uh, are there any plans to visit Attack or Progress again anytime soon? So we spoke a bit about Progress. Uh, you never know. Like I said, you had your debut in the Natural Progression series last October. Uh, but Attack, I know Attack got a, a very fond place in your heart. Uh, previous uh, 24-7 champion, although it was for less than 24-7, 24 <laughs> hours uh, alongside Zach Gibson. But uh, I'm sure you'd want to get back in uh, certainly with attack coming back on the scene in the last 12 months or so yeah so attack are a great thing like i'm still um really good friends with like flash morgan webster yeah. and mark andrews um like they're doing amazing things at attack and it's one of those things that if there's an opportunity of course i'd love to be at attack but I, at the same regard like they're doing so amazing things with the talent they have currently there like i would never want to be like throw me in there with things because they're, they're doing incredible things like a lot of their guys um, and again, the attack shows always feel different. They're not a traditional wrestling show. Um, but yeah, there's there's Nico. Um, again, the Lycos gym, we do really stuff there. 
Um, yeah, I'd love to be part of Attack again because that that purple canvas is a is a hell of a, an experience. And with regards to progress, I mean, I'm there all the time anyway. So even if you don't see me in a progress ring, you will always see me at a progress show. There's, there's a, I'm always in and around. But I think I'm, um, I think I'm, a bit, I'm, I'm well, I'm much preferred backstage by the uh, the powers that be at progress at the moment. There we go. Well, uh, hopefully next time they come to Manchester. That's what we said earlier. Hopefully next time they come to Manchester. Uh, but just a quick reminder on who my uh, guests are, up and coming guests for the rest of July. And of course, in just two days time, uh, I've got the wonderful Joel Redmond coming back onto the show. The second time that Joel's been on the show, uh, I think the last time was probably getting on for a couple of years ago. Uh, but now he is the head coach, the head trainer of All Star Wrestling South. And they have their first show on the 29th of July uh, from the Studio Theatre in Salisbury. Joel's coming onto the show to talk about All Star Wrestling South, the, the training school that he has in Salisbury, and of course the up-and-coming show on the 29th, previewing, run, running down, hyping up all of the matches that have been announced uh, for that wonderful show so far, and then for the rest of July, uh, if my, uh, there we go, um, so I've already had the wonderful uh, Connor Mills on the show last week, today of course speaking to uh, Sam Bailey of course, <laughs> um, but uh, of course up and coming guests have got uh, Taj, uh, the owner of Tidal Championship Wrestling coming on the show live on the Wrestling with Jonas podcast Tuesday the 18th, I've got Septic Sid Oakley, the current Southwest Wrestling Openweight Champion coming onto the show Thursday the 18th, um, I've got the, the teenage sensation uh, Nathan Angel, one of Joel's uh, trainees who really is starting to branch out all across the UK. Nathan Angel is coming onto the show on Monday the 24th and then uh, to um, kickstart or to uh, reignite my Legends Masterclass episode 5 with Lee Bamber legendary world of sport ring announcer uh, occasional referee and radio host and I'll be interviewing him this week and the first part of that will be going out before the end of the month previous Legends Masterclass guests include Marty Jones, Tony St. Clair Adrian Street, Johnny Kidd uh, and then, of course, Lee Bamber will be joining me very, very soon. Uh, but Sam, before we sign off for yourself, uh, an opportunity for any of my viewers or listeners out there, if they want to get in touch, if they want to say hi, if they want to learn more about Sam Bailey, uh, where can they do so? And uh, I do have uh, your uh, various <laughs> socials running along the bottom there. But uh, please enlighten us, my friend. Yeah, so uh, I am on social media at that Dan Bailey on Twitter, on uh, on Instagram, on Facebook. I think you can find Sam Bailey Wrestler still exists somewhere it's connected to my instagram and also now threads which everyone is now jumping Indeed, onto, yes uh, at that dan bailey or a number that you have to click on uh, instagram and things but um yeah most of the stuff that i ever plug will be on instagram more than twitter i, I use instagram way more than at that point so but yeah, yeah if not if not that find me if you shop pc because that's where i'm going to be every other day of the week as opposed to shows so. absolutely <laughs> and tell us a little bit about, a bit about merch because you do have some t-shirts available i understand that you've got a slightly older design and you've got a brand new t-shirt uh just there uh yeah. a very cool very <laughs> sweet design even if i do say so myself yeah. but tell us where we can get hold of those so they are at shop more bailey cartel.com um yes the northwest savior um big uh dragon ball z homage yes which, um <laughs> which was, again was the first time i had the wrestling gear and the headphones on and stuff um and then yes the homage to my trainer obsession um 
Um, for homage to the goat, uh, yeah, the Sam Bailey, the Air Bailey T-shirts are also available there on multiple sizes. Um, Absolutely awesome. And, and of course, if you go to Sam Bailey's Instagram, it has all of his posts there. And there's a link tree at the top where you can get all of his uh, links to the various social platforms. But one thing I did see on your Instagram that I found quite interesting. Now, this is, I'm sure, just a, a one of a kind. Uh, but uh, tell me oh. a bit about this, <laughs> a custom-made action figure of the Northwest Saviour. That's pretty sweet, even if I do say so. So the, the day I was at, the day I got sent this was the day I was at NGW about to win this championship. I got a message being like, do you mind if we uh, post this? And they sent me this for us. Like, the fact that the trainers at the bottom have my little Nike logo and the little <laughs> yeah. logo, it's incredibly, like, detailed. Like, I don't know whose head that is. I know it's Enzo Amore's hair that has been changed into the blonde uh, and it's the MVP bodysuit. But um, yeah, I got a message randomly. He was like, can we can we share it? And I was like, can you add me as a collaborator so I can share that as well? Because it's incredible. And I was like, the only thing I ask is, but Long Live the Chief, because that's my entrance music. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. But um, I wanted to send it to me and he won't because it's a very cool and obviously <laughs> I'm honored to think and honored him, but I'd love him to like make another one. But yeah, I, I think stuff like that always makes me feel so like special. And I forget the job we do actually kind of like attracts so many people who are big fans and things like that. Or like people make, uh, there's Donna who obviously wrestle carnival, a big fan, a big fan of wrestle carnival shows. She made a picture. She drew a picture of me, incredible effort and just gave it to me. It's like, that's yours. And I was like, uh, do you want money for like I, I didn't I felt really awkward of like do you want something for this but she's like no, no this is just for you just like we thought it was a really good picture and I wanted to draw it of you and I was like it's cool and I think like sometimes it's humbling as a wrestler to realize that people really enjoy what you do and and it's really nice to kind of have that heartwarming thing where you get to be a kid again and see yourself as an action figure even if it yeah that was that was cool Absolutely. But uh, Sam Bailey, the Northwest saviour, the pro wrestling savant. Uh, we never did quite find out what that what that meant, did we? But uh, it's been awesome awesome having you on uh, episode 308 of Wrestling With Johnners. Uh, but uh, thank you so much uh, for your time, my friend, and I'll see you at the shows. Sweet. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sam.